John Cabrera, we meet again. Yeah. <laughs> For any of you wondering why I played that cheesy music as we entered into this episode, that was because that was the number one song in November 1980. That could have been what uh, Craig Miller was listening to as he and Mary Elizabeth Sowers rode up to the uh, the carousel at the Arden Fair Mall on that, uh, on that cold Sacramento night for a night of a fraternity party at the for Founders Day. And um, their life was changed. Their life was uh, ended. And we're going to get into that. But I just want to set the tone that that was the number one song when, when that happened. If there's anything to be cut to come out of that, it is that at least their deaths led to the, to the capture of two of the actually most heinous murderers. I got to tell you, John. I, uh, you know, I do a lot of this and I've done a number with you, um, by the way, you're incredibly popular, hmm. but I've done a number, a number with you. None of them have affected me like this murder, like this, like this couple. Um, I mean, you know, Dorothea Puente, yes, Dorothea Puente was a sociopath and she was a grifter. And her grift game got higher and higher until it led to what it led to, right? And got it. Uh, Kamiski, same thing. She was a really smart woman, got started on the wrong track, kept going down the wrong track, was a track star on that wrong track, led to murder. She was caught. And all of the true crime stories that I read about or watch, none have affected me like this one, the story of Charlene and Gerald Gallego. Um, the sex slave murderers. Yeah, none, none have. I got to be honest with you. Reading the cases, and I've read, I've read court documents. I've done, you know, background. Uh, read, a, read a couple of books. None, none of the other cases have affected me like this. And the way that the victims were treated and tortured and killed and had their minds played with, and the innocence that Gerald. And in my mind, Charlene took from these people because of the age and the time that we lived in. It's kind of funny, um, not funny, but it's kind of interesting that if you look at these cases, it's almost like an absolute snapshot into the 1970s. You got the Chevy van, right, with a, with a, with a nature shot on the side of it. You got the, hey, you want to go get high in the back of my van? You got that. Right. You got the little sorority fraternity dance at the carousel, you know, which is in the suburbs and, you know, a total 1970s thing to do. Um, you got the them telling their parents we're not coming over because we're going to be playing pinball. Um, you know, it just is a real snapshot into the 1970s. The victims, young, young women just walking around free, not even worried, not like today. You know, that wouldn't happen today. Today, those kids would not be walking around like they were, I think, some of these victims in the in the late 1970s and early 1980s. It's a snapshot into a time which I think we've left and which I think people like Charlene and Gerald um, made us aware that, hey, maybe we need to buckle down. Maybe we need to be a little more safe. So anyway, I want to make sure that I let off with that, that this was a very, very hard case for me to 
to um to dig into simply because of the nature of the crimes it it was tough for me but you were there you were there right. what were you doing when this started to unfold well i was just uh transferring from the vice unit to the homicide unit in 1980 okay and um i wasn't aware of the crimes that had been taking place in 1978 up to that point when i got to the unit i was very much aware of craig miller and Mary's disappearance, and then him being found first dead. And so coming from Vice, it was very uh, much of interest to me because um, I worked with a lot of seedy people. When you work in Vice, you know, you work the underworld. And plus, you work a lot of bars and you check licenses and you check their patronage and who's going on. But you also check a lot of other areas in which is dealing with nothing but the underworld of Sacramento. And so I was very interested in that case. And then fortunately, um, my good colleague, Detective Gene Burchette, had asked me to assist him on a couple of things. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for me, that was, uh, I was really, really excited about being involved in it and getting a, a, a look at what really happened. Yeah, because when that case happened, this is and this is the the final case, we're, we're jumping ahead here, but there's a, there's a reason why we're jumping ahead. Um, the, the murder of Craig Miller and Mary Elizabeth Sowers, they were like the all-American couple. And I know we right. use that a lot, but if you read the stories, they were honestly the all-American couple, especially for 1980 California. And, which, go ahead. and they had so much uh, ahead of them. You yeah. know, there was so much ahead of each of them career wise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they, again, they were the perfect couple, perfect yeah. young couple, Sac State students. Uh, and they had it all. They had it all. And they were just going to have a good time and just continue to move on into those great directions, which uh, they were they were heading to. And uh, mm -hmm. it was just very, very yeah. sad. And it really captured uh, the Sacramento region and I think the North State at, at, at large uh, when that when that murder happened. It was at a very popular mall. It was at it was at right. the Arden Fair Mall in Sacramento at that time was a very, very popular mall. That was a very growing part of Sacramento. Those suburbs are a little dated now, but they were new then. And um, the Arden Fair was a fresh, exciting mall. And that's where they were picked up. Um, so let's go back to the beginning. Uh, Gerald Gallego, um, his father, Gerald Gallego Sr., uh, is famous. He had a famous dad. His right. dad was the, the first the first convicted man to be mur to be executed in the uh, Mississippi gas chamber. Uh, he was a two time murderer with a long, long line of, of crimes behind him. And he one of the one of the things he left us uh, was his son, Gerald Gallego Jr., um, his mother, I think his mother was a sex worker. Was that well, right? Well, yeah, sex worker, or we would call prostitute. Mm -hmm. And what? How did Gerald grow up, Junior? Well, you know, Gerald, uh, his life. I mean, I can say that it wasn't the best of all. I mean, his father was a criminal. His father was basically estranged, so he really had no contact with his father. His father was always in crimes, and then he was in prison. Mm -hmm. And um, his mother was a prostitute. Men coming over the house all the time. He had to live with that. Um, probably some abuse going on there. And um, that's what he grew up with. I mean, that's the atmosphere he was that grew Chico, up in. Chico? Or where did he grow up? Uh, he, he was born in Sacramento. Okay. Do we know what part? Do you know? Uh, no. Okay. I've no. always wondered. I didn't see it anywhere. Yeah. Either. No. <laughs> he, was, he was born in Sacramento. Okay. And uh, so, you know, his life growing up, 
in the early stages was a, a, a really a tough life for any kid, you know, but apparently there was something that affected him or mm -hmm. whatever it was. But again, you have to look at his father. His father was a stone cold criminal. Yep. And um, of course, as you said, he was one of the first people uh, executed in Mississippi in 1955. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what you have to look at is, you know, what, what did he leave? Was it a bad seed? Or was it everything else that Gerald had been involved in and going through as a young person, which mm -hmm. started him on this trail of perversion, you know, and murder? Yeah. I think his first brushes with the law were when he was six. Um, he started getting in trouble with the law. I mean, you know what, man? That takes a lot of effort. <laughs> that takes right. a lot of effort right. to be a six-year-old and already having brushes with the law, right? I mean, it's not easy. No. You got to plan that shit out. Yeah. And so, and so, and then I know his first incarceration, I think, was when he was 13. Right. And he had, he had been, um, you know, sexually abusing young girls, like very, very young, like six, seven-year-old. Six-year-old, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it was a six-year-old that he was abusing and which he was arrested for. Mm -hmm. That was his first time that he would be incarcerated, mm -hmm. you know, and- uh, it's just it's just amazing, you know, at that age to be able to to be able to put something together like that, think it out and then act it out and do it. But he was already doing things. Yeah. So so after 13 and through his whole adulthood, was it just a constant parade of arrests, incarceration, yep. arrests and marriages? Because by the time he married um, Charlene Williams, who later became Sharon Gallego, um, he had already been married five times, right? I think throughout the 60s, he had already been married um, maybe five or maybe four. And then he might have had one after the early 70s. But do you know, what do you know about that? I think he, it was a total of seven times that he was married. And twice to the same woman. Twice to the same woman. Yes. So it would have been six people, mm -hmm. but it was seven marriages. And um, yeah, it was just uh, one after the other. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, which is one of the things that would help bring him down also that we can talk about later get there. Uh, is his uh, alleged marriages. So, so he was in and out of, in and out of prison, literally prison. He went to prison with his brother, right? right. Showing you the, the apple doesn't fall far from that daddy no. tree. Um, no. And they were uh, caught with an armed robbery of a motel in Vacaville, which is down the freeway from Sacramento about, you know, 35, 40 minutes, depending how the traffic is. And they were caught there and then they were sent to prison. Right. Right. Yeah. Sentenced to prison, uh, and he did a little over three years when he gets paroled out. You know what's interesting, John, is the more I, you know, you know, get into these types of cases, what I have found, even in the case of the Batgirl, uh, even in the case of, especially the case of Dorothea Puente, when you finally hear about these people in only the, and I haven't really seen the case, but I will, just for the sake of argument, in only the very, 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 very rarest of cases, is this like a first or second time? Almost always there is, like Dorothy Puente, a lifetime of grifting and ripping off and multiple marriages and ripping off husbands and you know what I mean? Just a lifetime right. of, of scammery, right? And same with Comiskey. She was very young, but man, she burned hot. Same thing, going through men, always had a scam, always had a always had a play. And the same thing with your Gallego. Uh, Gallego. Yes, he was caught on these murders, right? Because I think eventually their arc gets so high it has to right. fall. 
But it was a lifetime of crime for this guy before he teamed up with Charlene. Yeah. And, you know, um, when we look back at these types of individuals that are involved in these horrific crimes, a lot of them start out and it's what we call nickel and dime crimes, you know, but it starts very early, you know, and it's this and it's a hand slap and it's juvenile hall. And it's a lot of theft, burglary, grand theft, auto, things like that in which Gerald was involved in. And then it just seems to escalate. It's like they spawn into a whole new genre mm -hmm. and what they were doing and how they deviate from what they were doing before. And now it's really becoming serious crimes. Just like, you know, Dorothea Puente started with, you know, a few grifting things here and there. And then it just progressed to where she just figured, hey, you just put these people to death and I don't have to worry about ever getting caught because she got tired of getting caught. <laughs> Just right. like Gerald. Right. Just like Gerald. Right. So it, it, in the 60s, um, I think it was in 64, during the midst of all of these um, uh, marriages that he had. And by the way, they all ended kind of in the same way. He spent all their money and beat them. And finally, they left him. I think one only lasted a month. Um, but it was the same pattern. He would marry these women. Often they had very little. A couple of were laundresses, um, which was a job, you know, during that period uh, when not everybody had a washing and dryer, you know, in their home. And um, in, he would eventually, you know, just abuse them, beat them, uh, philander and uh, take all their money, spend all their money. And right. then they would leave him or he would just move on to the next one. Right? I mean, he was married, but, uh, you know, he was a philanderer. He had girlfriends, mistresses. I was just part of his whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, he, he was going through wives like, you know, you would go through water while walking through the desert. Yeah. And uh, it was just amazing. So uh, you saw the guy, right? You met the guy. Yeah, I did. What attracted these women to this guy? You know, the first time I saw him, we brought him over, Detective uh, Burchette and myself. Um, we brought him over from the old Sacramento County Jail, chained up because of what he was in for. And we brought him over to the Hall of Justice and put him in the homicide room. And I, I was just caught off by his size, you know, because I Big thought- guy? Uh, husky, but short. Really? Real short. Really? I mean, I had this idea. I, I, it was like, is he 5'7", five, 5'8", five, you know? So we uh -huh. wanted to make sure he was shackled up good uh -huh. enough. And uh, going over there and bringing him back, and I saw this guy that maybe he was 5'5", five, five at best, and but could, muscular- you know, uh, chiseled face, really dark eyes. Oh yeah. He just, I, I was taken back and, uh, you know, he had these eyes. I'll never forget. He had these dark eyes it reminded me of Charles Manson and, um, they were just piercing, you know, he'd just look at you as you're talking to him and then he just had these dark eyes and, uh, it was amazing. I mean, it was, uh, something else, but I was taken back by his size. You expected bigger. I mean, I, I, the way he overpowered people, right? The way he, uh, you know, overpowered people, the way he carried on wherever he worked in bars yeah. and other places, uh -huh. you'd think, here's a guy that was so self-assured about himself. Correct. Yeah. He was, you know, I'm muscular. Nobody messed with him and nobody bothered him. And I thought, and then I see this and I think, oh my gosh. But that was his persona. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he put off this persona like, and he was very good at it. You really? know, it was like, he could look right through you. Like, you're nobody to me. You know, and I think a lot of people thought if he said something to them, they'd kind of like, move, wait a minute. You know, because he was, he was, he had a somewhat of a build uh -huh. uh, and he had this real chiseled face and uh, you kind of go like, wow, you know, and he had that look. Uh, Did he you talk know, to you? No, Gene, Gene, I, I think Gene had in mind some things that he wanted to, to briefly ask him, but he wasn't about to say anything. He's, hey, for him, it was just an out being out. 
And so we took him back. We, we weren't out that long. We took him back. But I think one of the things that amazed me the most, taking him back, we entered into the back of the jail where, mm -hmm. um, where they, they also take the females in and the males, and then they divide them up. And I was taken back as they hooked him up because there was some other prisoners in there. So they were going to put them all back. So he just joined the rest of the line. But right in the room next door was where the female deputies were and where you booked your female prisoners. And there was a tall female deputy there. And I'm standing behind the group of guys waiting for them to move so we can leave. But we want the guys to go out. We don't want to open the doors, of course. And so I'm looking at him. And he starts jumping up and down, literally jumping up and down over these guys because he's so short. But he was trying to get a look at the female deputy, the blonde. Like he just couldn't help himself. He could not help himself. And, you know, I'm looking at Gene and I, I'm looking, I'm like to myself, I'm thinking, my gosh, this guy, all the stuff that he's done, it's not enough. He's got to see that blonde female deputy. And he keeps bouncing up and down until the deputy uh, sheriff in there tells him, hey, settle down. And I was just like, this guy is nuts. <laughs> this guy, even in this type of situation, he still has to get a glance at this female deputy. You know, it's interesting. That story is, is very interesting because it kind of goes along with who we're going to talk about next, Charlene. Uh, because Charlene and um, some of the court papers that I read, she described him as once his train started rolling, it couldn't stop. Right. Once that drive in him to go get someone, it, she said there was no stopping it. You could not stop. Well, and, and of course, my opinion on her, you know, will be known. But but anyway, it's funny that that's a personality trait right. that she gave. Yeah, it was remarkable. Yeah. That's I'll never forget it. And and I just thinking about that, and I thought that it just it wasn't enough. God. God, thank God that guy was behind bars. Oh, yeah. Um, Charlene Williams. So Charlene Williams, uh, later to be known as Charlene Gallego. Charlene Williams was born in Sacramento to, I think, an upper middle class family. Her father was an executive at it said, I keep seeing supermarket chain. I'm assuming Rayleigh's. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, if you I know. don't. I don't know either. But yeah. she was born in Stockton. Oh, she was born in Actually, Stockton. She That's was right. born in Stockton. That's right. And her father was an executive, held a high position. Mm -hmm. I mean, her family. She come from a good family. Yeah. You know, her mother, father. Mm -hmm. She had just about everything. I think she wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, went to a great high school. She oh, went yes. to Rio Americana High School. Yeah, I mean, you know, where they always say, "Oh, that's a school of the rich kids." Yes. But I mean, it sits there off American River Drive. Fantastic school. Yeah. You know, a great, great curriculum and uh, people that lived in those areas at, of a high income level. That's right. All their children went there. Yep. You know. And we're talking about in Sacramento, there's an area called Arden Park. And that is even to this day. Actually, today it's probably even more so because um, some of the people who live there, probably when Charlene's family lived there, have they bought those houses and blown them out even bigger. Um, but it's always been a place of executives and professionals. Yes. And Arden Park is where she grew up. And as you said, she went to Rio Americana, which is, I think, at least in the city of Sacramento, a scene where all, oh, all the all the rich kids go. And that's where she went. Yeah. And the descriptions are, she was very small, very petite. Very. Very petite. Kind of mousy. You know, I, I think the term mousy would fit her. And it's funny because when I see pictures of them, he's like towering over her. And as you said, he was short. I don't know if he was wearing boots or something. It's funny you say that because one of the things about him is he always portrayed himself to be taller in photographs. If you look at their photographs, he's always 
above her. Oh. You know, which you see this this dominance. He had to be the dominate, you know, dominating person. And uh, all the photographs, she's low and he's yeah. up. Yeah, he looks like he could be six feet. And yes. she, she could be five, eight, you know? And so, <laughs> but that's one of the things that he did. He he was, he made himself bigger, you know, than what mm. he really was in life. He had to, he he had to do that. I, I noticed, well, I thank you for clarifying that because in a lot of the picture, because I know, I knew that he was short based on conversations I had had with you. I didn't know how short, but I saw her standing next to him. And I was like, holy cow, she must have been like four foot one. Well, yeah, you'd think that. <laughs> you would think that, yeah. right? But he yeah. those, that was all planned by him. Right. As part of his That's scheme of dominance. He, yeah, it's something he did. And, and if you look at all the photos, you'll never see anyone above him. He reigned. And in his mind, he reigned supreme. Man. And he never really had a job <laughs> in and Not out of really. prison. Um, he I, Honestly, after, I don't know if he was street smart but he definitely was not book smart no um and i think that his intelligence is really questioned as we get to the end of their run when you can see all the dumb dumb mistakes he made um so it's kind of funny how someone like that would have to be the supreme guy right That's Th this, this is what he what he uh put off as far as yeah. his character i mean that he was a supreme person i mean he knew that charlene was intelligent Mm -hmm. She knew it. Mm -hmm. She knew she was smarter than him just by talking to him. And then later on, as you mentioned, by the things that he starts doing, she's thinking, what an idiot. Yes, he was. He what an idiot. You know, shit. and uh, but uh, she kept those mm -hmm. thoughts to herself, mm -hmm. knowing that if she ever said anything like that, mm -hmm. that would be terrible. So they so she was by all descriptions that I've seen or, or read, you know, as you said, mousy, petite, quiet um, and very, very intelligent. Everybody always called her very intelligent. Now, she met him when she was 23, I believe, right? Right. Well, she'd already been married and divorced twice. 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 Yes. And she had, in the middle of all that, or after all that, she had had an affair with a military guy. Right. And um, from what I... From what I've read is that she was having the affair with the military guy, and he actually uh, asked for the whole thing to get called off because she said, I want your wife to join us in a threesome. And he's right. like, no, hey, I didn't sign up for that shit. Right. So so he ended it. So again, as we said earlier, right, when, you know, because people, oh, Charlene, poor victim. No, she was, right. you know, there was some stuff there before she even met. And a little history on that going back to high school. You know, in high school, she started out and she was, you know, good student. Everything was going good. But then, she started experimenting with drugs, um, and a lot of issues were, and, and a lot of is issues were coming from that. She started uh, ex experimenting in sex, mm -hmm. and um, things just started getting bad, and it went from bad to worse. And so she was already starting doing dope uh, and involving herself in all these situations, and um, and then finishing you know high school she was only allowed to to graduate from high school because she had an you know she needed to get her points and they allowed her to do that otherwise probably anyone else because of what she was failing in at the school they would have booted her but they kept her she was allowed to stay to the school and then she got out but now she was already turning to be a different person yes and even other people in school you know you know that I read was they would refer to her as a slut because people started to see mm -hmm. about her background and what she was already doing. Yeah. So, again, you know, we often you'll hear the story told about the Gallegos 
And it's like, oh, you know, this poor little mousy Charlene. And she, no, man, she had turned a corner somewhere in there. You probably right. led by the drugs and the people that she was hanging out with, you know, because it was a different world then. Um, and, um, so I think her life turned, in fact, one of her husbands left her because he said, I, when I met her, she was quiet, she was shy, she would be at home. And suddenly she started going out, getting her hair done all fancy, wearing makeup and, and wanting to go out. And he's like, she's not the woman I married. No, um, her parents doted over her. I mean, in the beginning, you know, she was doted over by her parents. They took care of her. They got a lot. They, you know, they got her the car. They got her all kinds of different things. And then she just started to get into those changes. Mm -hmm. So that was when the real problems began. And then, of course, uh, it just kind of escalated. And even into community college, she did a, a quick burst in a local community college. That didn't last long. She quit um, because she just she didn't want to be a part of that. So how these two meet? How did these two, I mean, as even though we're saying Charlene, you know, took a different turn and had changed personality wise and wasn't what people have portrayed her to be. She was no Gerald Gallego. No, <laughs> she was no. no Gerald Gallego. No, that she wasn't. That guy. Was, yeah. So how did how did those two people get together? Well, you know, she'd been married twice before. Mm -hmm. The first individual was a really nice guy, really nice guy. But I think she just for some reason didn't couldn't go along with that. She didn't like the nice guy. No, the nice guy. I mean, he had money. Things looked good, you know, and but she decided she didn't like that. So then she marries the second guy. Uh, he turns out to be a drug addict. So she divorces him. Now she's single again. So a friend of hers keeps talking her, talking her, talking into going out on a blind date. Oh, my God. With this guy that worked at a. We got to get, get the name of that friend because yeah. that friend changed yeah. history <laughs> right? from that one moment when he was having that drink and thought, hey, I got to get those two together. Yeah. And <laughs> My so, God. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, uh, the person uh, kept kept asking her and then finally she accepted this blind date. And the blind date just happened to turn out to be Gerald Gallegos. And where'd they, do you know where they met? Or? Um, I think they just went out. Um, I'm not sure what exactly they did, but, you know, she wanted to get a feel for him. They might have gone to a show or something, but she mm -hmm. wanted to kind of get a feel for him. But I think one of the things that struck her uh, was his manliness. Yeah, I read you know, that too. His manliness. Her mm -hmm. father was very dominant in her life and she looked up to her father. He was a strong individual. And she sees Gerald... Uh, Understandably, she sees that he's not all that tall, mm -hmm. but his personality made him bigger than life in her eyes. Wow. And so she sees beyond, you know, his stature as far mm -hmm. as how tall he is. She sees beyond that. She sees the the manly look, the chisel look, uh, the way he acts and carries himself. It's all of that stuff, you know, that kind of that bad boy atmosphere. And that she's struck by that. She's really taken back. She's, wow, this might be the guy that I want to be around. So so they started going out. Now, did they move in together at that time or were they just kind of seeing each other? Oh, by the way, I, I, I did read that after their first date, he sent her a dozen long, long stems, roses. red roses. Yeah. 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 You know, he, he was just. That Ike Turner move. Right. Putting out the bait. Putting <laughs> yeah. out the bait. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that particular time, he was he was already on the search for somebody. Mm -hmm. He needed somebody. But, of course, he was already starting to get into a, a lot of other things, early fantasies. But he was actually searching for somebody that 
he would more or less would become an accomplice. It just wasn't a girlfriend he was looking for. It was somebody that he could count on and um, use to, you know, put his fantasies into reality. And he saw that in Charlene. He saw that. He saw that he could dominate her and that she was, you know, quiet and a nice girl and he could dominate her and she did everything he wanted. So yeah. it was a perfect setup. She just didn't know it. She, yeah, she didn't know what she'd bought into. Yeah. So one of the things that came out of his early marriages was a, was a daughter named Krista. And uh, Krista was born in 64. I remember that because um, that's how old I was. And that's when I was born. And um, he celebrated his, his birthday in 1978. This was after he and Charlene were together. And right. she had a duplex. I don't know where that duplex was. Though. It was in Carmichael. It was, in Car it was just off Eastern Avenue. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, well, that actually, that I gotta was. I got to go find that. Um, I think it was a single family dwelling. That's okay. what I think it was. Okay. Now, it could have been a, well, you'd call a duplex sitting on the corner. Okay. You know, would be a single family dwelling. But yeah, in all. In okay. All, it was one of those. Yeah. Like one, one faces one. Okay. Right. I got it. Carmichael's full of, chock full of those. Yeah. Um, okay. So she was there. And then, um, so to celebrate, this is what a sick, sick man he was. To celebrate his, um, you know, and by the way, if people are triggered by, certain words or certain, you know, images of abuse, et cetera, you prob probably really should not listen to this episode because we're about now to start wandering into an area where some things are going to be said. And it, honestly, if you are triggered, I really recommend you don't listen to this because I, I, I mean, I've worked in the DA's office. I've seen a ton of stuff. And even I had a hard time reading about some of these things. And I can say the same. I mean, I remember this case. I remember that after looking into everything about it. And uh, it, it's just shocking. Even for mm -hmm. me, you know, working yeah. over 300 <laughs> murders, yes. all these cases yes. that I've handled. And um, this particular uh, murder, this particular individual uh, goes far beyond yeah. others that I'd ever come in contact you know, with. You know what gets me, John, is people talk about, oh, Charlie Manson. Charlie Manson, a fucking Boy Scout. He ain't never killed right. anybody. No. You need to be afraid of people like Gerald Gallego. That's who you need to be afraid right. of. People like him. Because uh, that guy is a sick buck. He really is. Charlie Manson holds nothing, right? No. Zodiac Killer, nothing. No. This is the kind of people you should tell your kids to watch out for. This kind of guy. This, what makes him so dangerous is that he can turn on the charm, and he did, he did. to Charlene. He could turn on the charm to different people, like her parents. Yeah. You know, everybody that he needed, he knew how much charm to turn on. Yeah. And then when he turned it off, then he became the other person. Yeah. And he was pure evil. Pure evil. Pure evil. Pure Nothing evil. like any of these other individuals. No. And what makes him scary is this is a guy that can stand next to you, uh, work for you, um, mm -hmm. date your daughter, or be your friend or whatever, and you would never know anything about it. No. What's Until it's going too on. late. Until it's too late. And when it was too late, yeah. there was no turning back and there was no getting out of the situation. None. So so I am I'm talking about what, what happens here, because what happens next on his birthday in 1978 is really, really important um, because it plays a large role into what happened after this. Um, and that is that on in on, the, on his birthday in 1978, his daughter was there with them. Charlene was home. And for his birthday present to himself, he um, not just raped his, his daughter, but um, you know, we can bleep this. I don't know if bleep this out, but he sodomized her. 
And while Charlene was there and right. Charlene allowed it all to happen, probably watching TV, at least from what I've heard, she was in the living room. Another room. Yeah. Right. heard it all. Um, and it was just, you know, hey, it's just Gerald being Gerald. Um, and I think that was a triggering point for his daughter, who apparently he had been abusing. He hadn't gone that far with her, but he had been sexually assaulting her since she was six years old. Correct. She was just a plaything for him. But that was the point at which I believe she said, that's it. That's that's too I have to do something about this. And so um, I think the grand the mother was up in Butte. Was Butte County. Butte County. Right. And she went up there to Butte County and she told she finally told the authorities. She told the cops that. Um, right. Am I right? That he had. She'd, yeah. She'd he, made the report. Yeah. Yeah. And so they put out they put out a warrant for Ger- right. Gerald Gallego for for oral copulation, sodomy, um, unlawful intercourse, incest, incest. Yeah. The whole yeah. The whole menu of, of sick stuff. And um, and so he went back up there and found out about it. Right. Right. And so what happened? Uh, he basically takes off. You know, he knows there's a warrant out for his arrest mm-hmm. and he would use that um, warrant situation in a couple of different uh, ways with Charlene. You know, if somebody was looking for him and she also uh, they would also tell the parents. So the whole thing was, yeah, there's a warrant for me if anybody's looking for me, that kind of a thing. And um, but it was there. It was out of Butte County. The okay. warrant. So all of his crimes actually were committed while he was on the run. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is amazing. All of his crimes were committed while the guy had an active warrant out for him on the run, a parolee. um, And he was still did not slow him down a bit. No. Didn't slow him down a bit. No. Um, In fact, he upped his game. And so at that point, he's talking to Charlene and he tells Charlene, hey, you know what? We need to take our relationship to a different level. Right. And what happens? What? how did he what? How did this all occur? Well, he starts telling her about all these fantasies. And she's oh, something somewhat, happened. Well, just just uh, yeah, John. Something happened before that, and that is that um, he had come home, and he found her in bed with oh, a woman, yeah. uh, a young woman. Right. Um, I think she was sixteen, seventeen. I'm not sure. I see differing reports. And he found her. I think she was a dancer or a stripper. Well, it was someone. He, it was one of his. He mystery. had brought home. Right. He'd been with this yes, woman. That's right. Yeah. She and so uh, in fact they had a a threesome. And he he believes, comes back, and he finds her in bed with the dancer. So he's just ballistic about the whole thing. That's right. He goes crazy. Yes. And I believe the reason he goes crazy is because he wasn't in control. More than likely. She she had her own agency. She was making her own decisions. I'm going to follow up on this. Right. And the other reason I think this is important, because it goes along with um, what... I've read about her previous marriages where she kept wanting to invite women into that relationship. Right. So there was something there. And I don't say that to be salacious. I say that because I believe it's evidence um, for future actions and whether you believe what she says or not. So um, in a, a number, uh, well, the man she was having the affair with, right? You need to bring your wife into this. The One of her husbands said that she kept saying, hey, let's let's go find a woman. Let's get a prostitute, um, you know, and, and bring her home and all things like that. And so now he comes home. She's in bed right. with this 16 or 17-year-old stripper he brought home. Right. And she's, you know, doing her thing. Yeah. And, and- he goes crazy. And you can't help but think, you know, with her, when did this all start? This, you know, wanting to be with having women involved. And so I kind of look back at high school when she first starts, you know, dabbling into these sexual uh, Mm -hmm. stuff. And um, it might have been there. I don't I don't know. 
Uh, but it, I would it would be curious to find out when was the first time she was ever involved with another woman. And was it in high school? Is this mm -hmm. one of the things that she was involved in and why the other girls kind of. Uh, called her out on it. Yeah. And calling her, Start call her slut, call her slut, called her various yeah. names. And then slowly her personality, every, her personality on campus kind of went downhill. Right. So I don't know if it happened there, but, but it continued. And mm -hmm. yeah, that, per that particular incident, he was really upset. And I think he used it as leverage to say, Hey, now here's, here's how you can make it up. Right. Right. And so did he, how did he break this to her that here, this was the new life that they wanted to, to move well, on? Well, like to? you said, he wanted to up the game. He says, hey, here's what I want you to do. And at first, after he explains, I want to do this and how he basically talks about all these fantasies, you know, these, these young girls with tight bodies and buttocks and all of this stuff. And he's telling her this, you know. Uh, and so she's kind of like, you know, I'm not really sure if this is what's going on, you know. And they got a van. And it's yeah. kind of funny because we all now, we talk about, oh, a serial killer van. That's actually what they had. Yeah. It was what you picture as a serial serial killer van. And I don't know if they created the trope. Uh, they sure certainly didn't hurt it. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. they, traveled, they traveled to Western United States in a literal serial killer van. Right. With a mattress in the back. Yeah. And it had a little nature little nature scene painted on the side. And those were popular they in the were, 70s. They yes. were really popular in the 70s. You could buy these vans and have all these mm -hmm. nature pictures or mountains or yeah. whatever you wanted. Mm -hmm. And they had it. They had and it. on inside, you'd have the big, you know, either fur or, but they mm -hmm. had a bed. Get the captain's chair. Right. Yeah. I mean, you had it all that, yeah. but those were really popular. They then. were popular. If you're listening to this now and you're young, you're probably going, oh, that's crazy. No, it was very, very popular. And people would customize their big Chevy vans. Uh, right. Um, I'm sure the other companies made them too. Um, but but we, the reason I want to also clarify, the reason we were talking about her sexuality, again, is um, he did no, nothing wrong with that. But the reason we're bringing it up is because... I think it goes to her veracity when we're talking about those future crimes and her role in those crimes and whether she was, in fact, um, an actor in those crimes or a bystander in those crimes. Right. I think it's important. I think many people might disagree with me, but I think that it played a role or, or not that it played a role. But I think we should look at that when we're thinking about her actions in those crimes and whether right. she was just an innocent bystander or, or an actor. It reminds me of the Homolka case up in Canada. Right. This is what it really reminds me of right? Um, in many ways. And we can talk about that later, but yeah, that, I do want to talk about the Homolka case. Yeah, Homolka case, very similar, mm -hmm. you know, with her husband. Right. And what happens on the first uh, time that the incident takes place with the killing of her sister. Right. Her and sister. Yeah, it's, yep. uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's. It's mind-boggling when you think about it. And then after they make the deal, they find the videotapes where right. they find out, no, she wasn't innocent. Right. She was actually directing the shit. Right. Um, so so we move now. They've got the serial killer van. Again, don't know if they invented it. Didn't hurt it. Um, and, you know, if they were, this case could easily be called the mall killers. It really right. could. Right. Because a lot of their stuff was done at these malls, which at that time in the late 70s and 80s, they were at their peak. Everything, especially in Sacramento, they hit um, three of the big malls in Sacramento, Arden Fair Mall, Sunrise Mall and Country Club. 
They were Plaza. all popular, right? All popular. All popular at the time. All all new to everybody. Mm-hmm. Indoor malls. That was a thing. That was a thing. You know, and uh, yeah, these particular and one of them still is popular. Martin right. Fair Mall. Martin Fair Mall still there. You know, Carousel's Co- not, but no, it's Carousel's there. gone. And yeah. Country Club Plaza Mall. It's I believe is it's not the, there anymore. It's yeah. divided up. Yeah, now it's like yeah, right. It's and different. Sunrise Mall is still mm-hmm. out there. Sunrise Mall still yeah, hanging on. Still out there. So in September of 1978, um, you know, they decide, I think actually, ironically enough, it was September 11th, 1978, they decide to go out to Country Club Mall. And this is where he's going to let um, Charlene prove herself right. to him. Right. And he asks her to lure a couple of uh, a couple of young women uh, for him, for his needs. Now, he's saying what, what I find interesting, John, and maybe you can comment on this or maybe not. Uh, he keeps talking about he wants sexual slaves. That's what he keeps talking about, Gerald. I need, we need some sex slaves. We need sex slaves, right? And he talks about it that plainly, by the way. Um, we need sex slaves. But the fact is, he never did. He right. had them and killed them right. almost immediately. I think it was just part of that fantasy, mm-hmm. having these sex slaves do what I, everything that I want you do. But then I think after it was done, he had no more use for him. And he just- He just killed him. He couldn't help himself. No. He just killed him. And, yeah. and then, you know, it would go away maybe- and then the fantasy started up again. again. Yeah. Whatever triggered it. Yeah. It would boom. Here it's triggered. And now I got to do it again. So so in September 11th, 1978, there was two young women who were at the Country Club Mall. And um, their names were Rhonda Shuffler and I think Kippy Vaught. Kippy Vaught, right. And um, he had Charlene, right? His, his I don't think they're married at this time. His girlfriend. Um, well, are they married? No, I think they got married after. I think they first got married in September 30th of They got married twice. Yes. The first yeah, time yeah. was right after this, by the way. And there might be a reason. Um, and so he has her go to the mall and lure him a couple of uh, nubile young victims. He wanted them young. Right. And she did. And again, hearkening back to the 70s, she lures them with, hey, you want, you want to smoke some pot? Right. Right. And then what happens- there. Well, she gets them, she brings them out. And of course, when they come out and then they're basically, I think what's happening out there is, uh, Gerald's waiting and confronts them mm-hmm. probably with a handgun mm-hmm. and loads them up into the van and, uh, off they go. Mm-hmm. But with these two girls, they were the oldest of the mall girls that they he were. would pick up. They, they were both 17. In fact, Scheffler was married. Yeah. That's both right. 17. One was visiting the other. Mm-hmm. And when they decided to go to country club mall. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. after being taken out by, and you know, and, and at that particular time, Charlene looked just as innocent as anyone. You know, again, she uh, was uh, like almost looked like them as far as age wise. You know, young. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, come on, let's go smoke. She some was the weed. perfect lure. Oh, she was perfect. Small, yeah. cute, petite. Yeah, right. They, nobody would ever suspect her. Two weeks after that, September twenty seventh. That's when. The charges are filed against him and uh, are drawn up against him in Butte County right. on September 27th. Okay. And um, so now it's official. Now they have a warrant out for him. Three days later, that's when September 30th, he tells Charlene, hey, let's get married. <laughs> let's go. Right. Let's get married. You know, and so they uh, and they fled the state. Right. They fled the state. Got out of the state. Got out mm-hmm. of everything. And um, do, do you know where they went? Um, I'm not quite sure where they probably took off, but I, 
Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know where they took off after the wedding. After yeah. they were married, I think they, they went off somewhere. Yeah, they went off to Houston for a bit. I think and he was a bartender. Honeymoon. Yeah, doing his bartender thing because he was a bartender. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember where? Bob Les Club. Bob Les. It's still on there on Del Paso Boulevard, right here in Sacramento. Still there. Yep. That's still there. The Bob little Les place. Club. Yeah. Um, and that that'll come in handy a little later during the trial. Then for a year they were quiet. I think for about a year, and then in on uh, June twenty fourth, nineteen seventy nine. They're up in Reno, and there's county fair. And what happens then? Yeah, what goes on? It's the Washoe County Fair right mm-hmm. in Reno, and they go hunting again. He wants two more girls. So he puts her out to find them, and uh, eventually uh, they bring this uh, 14-year-old and 13-year-old girl, young teens. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that would be his next victims. You know, what's interesting on that one is she didn't use the marijuana. What she did was she told him, hey, do you guys want to earn some easy money? Um, I don't know if you know what handbills are. People listening. Hand, yeah. It's like, uh, passing out handbills. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, you want to earn some easy money? You just put these on the windshields of cars. Right. Right. That's Fair all. was going on. And that would yeah. be something uh, uh-huh. that, that's something that you would see. Somebody, while they had all this stuff, people's, uh-huh. you know, this captive yeah. audience, they would put all these handbills out. And this was Charlene who was doing right, this. Right. This was Charlene. So, you know what I mean? Uh, this was the innocent woman. Right. She's orchestrated this. Yes. It wasn't she was told. She orchestrated how this would work. And so, she tells them, come on back to the van where I have all the handbills, right? And they go back to the van and there's there's Gerald to intercept them with a the gun. Right. Puts them in the van. Right. And... um. You know, he does what he does. Yep. And their bodies weren't found for, God, 15, 16 years later, right? Their bodies were found, I think it was 1999. And it was because a property owner up in Lassen County, he was going through his property and he found the remains. So almost 20 years later, the remains were found. Uh, 20 years. Yeah. So they had gone from Nevada and they just went right over the line and they were in Lassen County at that particular time where they got rid of the bodies. So they're quiet a little bit for a little bit. And then around April, I think it was April 24th, 1980. So now we're up into 80. And But when I say they're quiet, believe me, they're not quiet because- no, We have they, no idea what they've been doing. That's right. We These are just the ones that Charlene told us about. Right. That's all. Right. These are the ones that she told us about. We have no idea how many more victims, how many more bodies are out there, how many he did without her being involved. Right. We don't know how many she did, but maybe she was so shameful that she doesn't even want to admit those. She thought, oh, this is enough. Right. Because you got to remember, he would leave on times. He would he would disappear. And then he'd come back. And I, she wasn't about to ask him, you know, what are you doing? What are you? So, and on one occasion, he came back and he had a little bit of extra money. And she was kind of wondering, you know, I wonder where all that came from. Well, you know, he was probably out pulling robberies, doing all kinds of stuff. So it wasn't that I think he just stopped dead. Whatever he was doing, we have no idea. We have no idea. We have no idea. Uh-uh. And so so April 24th, 1980, Sunrise Mall in uh, Citrus Heights. Man, there's so much shit that happens in Citrus Heights. I swear to God, every killer we've talked about has been right. somehow related to Citrus Heights. Yeah. <laughs> Man, but they're at the they're at the Sunrise Mall. I wonder if they bumped into the Golden State Killer. Like, hey, how you guys doing? Good. How are you? Yeah. Um, have a good day. Um, so so anyway, April twenty fourth at the Sunrise Mall, and there's two young women, both seventeen, both seventeen, and they're leaving a bookstore. Um, at the Sunrise Mall. Sunrise Mall back then, and I can tell you, nineteen eighty, I was you know in the tenth grade. I would come out here sometimes, and that was popping. 
that, that mall was, was popping. Really popular. That was, that was all a very new area there uh, at the end of Sunrise Mall. I mean, at the end of Sunrise Boulevard, for those here in, who don't know Sacramento. It was a newer area there, a lot of development. It, it was so popular, there was a mall there. And then if you go across the street, there was another mall called Birdcage Walk. Right. Um, it was very, very popular. So these two 17-year-olds decide to go to the bookstore, I don't know, B. Dalton, whatever bookstores they had back then. And then they're leaving and Charlene was sent there. In fact, what I've read is that Charlene was sent there. Gerald got so upset that it was taking her too long that he went in there and poked her and said, what are you doing? You right. know, you're letting me down. And yeah. she like was looking around like, dude, we're in the middle of a mall. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Easy, yeah. chill. And, um, you know, but he like, as we said in the beginning, once that train started rolling right. with this guy, there was no- He didn't care. He did not care. He, he, he wanted to go in there and force the issue. Hurry mm -hmm. up, get him, get out. I need this. Yes, that's right. I mean, that's how he was, this, this like- animal yeah i need this in fact he needed these girls many of his ex-wives and ex you know girlfriends described him as an animal in many ways but they're like he was just animalistic yeah um so so they did and she lured them with the marijuana lure again right. hey you guys want to go smoke some pot you know we got a van out. <laughs> this sounds so 70s i swear to yeah God. You know, we got a van out in the parking lot of the mall you know and they go out and he did his thing he was there again with the gun yep. in the back and you know and he took them and i don't know do we do you know where they were were taken to in the end uh they uh, let me see they they found the remains um from oh, the girls they found their remains up just outside Baxter? of lovelock oh, okay uh lovelock lovelock okay so old nevada tramping grounds right i think on those i remember he actually bludgeoned those to death it was like um, hammer with a hammer these poor young 17 year old, this guy, this is the guy that people should talk about when they say, be right. careful or Gerald Gallego is going to get you. Right. Not freaking Charlie Manson, not the goddamn Zodiac killer. Yeah. This devil, I swear to God, this is the hardest case to, to research. Um, so they found them, they were gone and that was in April. And in May, Charlene got pregnant for the second time. Right. So she'd been pregnant before. She decided not to go through with it, but this time she decides to keep it. Right. Right. Now, remember the whole time, the whole time there's an active warrant out for this guy. Yeah. Right. There's an active warrant, but he's going by a different name. They even get married twice. The second time they use different name. He uses a different name. Stephen Feel. That's right. That was one of his aliases. So that's a name he went by, Stephen Feel. That's right. He becomes Stephen Feel. Yeah. In order to get away from that active And there warrant. is a real Stephen Feel. He's a cop, right? He was a cop and they even contacted him same day to birth, everything. So you have to kind of think, <laughs> where did Gerald get all this information? He got it somewhere. They were married in, for the second time, they went to Reno and they got married as Stephen Feel. Right. They made this official. He yeah. is Stephen Feel. And I think Stephen and Charlene Feel. And he they, he needed to do that so that he could get the cops, right? Right. Off of his. I right. wonder if he chose the cop's name because he thought that would be helpful. I don't know. I don't know. know. It, it might have even been by chance. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll never know. Then one of the saddest. So June 1st, as anybody would do after they get married, they decide to go to Oregon, to the coast of Oregon. They were going to go with another couple. 
But the couple decided not to go with him because he got physical with the with the wife or with the girlfriend, with the with the female of the other couple that they were supposed to go to Oregon with. Right. They dropped out because he got physical with her. I think he, you know, I don't I don't think it was sexual. I think he was abusive. Right. He blew his lid. Yeah. And again, once once he started to turn, that was all it took. And then he became this evil monster person with this with this, you know, this bitterness or this being so mean. But yeah, it was just totally different. And so, so they didn't want it. They, they weren't going to go. Yeah, they weren't going to go. It was like, uh, no, no, thanks. So this is this is one of the hardest ones. To me, this is the hard. And actually, Charlene Gallego, in my opinion, the monster that she is, she actually says that this was the hardest. This was the one that she had the most sympathy for, if that's possible. Right. But um, there was a young woman named a 21 year old named Linda Aguilar. And she lived, I think, in Port Orford or Gold Beach. Uh, well, it was down by Gold Beach where mm -hmm. I think it, it occurred, but okay. I think Port Orford is the organization and the police department that. Okay, um, I think it was that. That's where yeah. she lived. So she was going to Gold Beach for a for a doctor's appointment because she was, I think, four months pregnant. Yes, she was pregnant, and she was hitchhiking. And mm -hmm. you know, from everything I've seen, she was very very attractive, twenty one year old, pregnant, four months pregnant. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, God, it's a postcard, right? I mean, right. people, people write poems about that shit. And, um, but that's not what Gerald see. No. Gerald doesn't see, oh, how beautiful, you know, a nice, pretty pregnant right. lady walking. Oh, hi. You know, no, he doesn't see that. He sees a meal. Right. And he decides that he needs her. He has to have her. Right. They'd just been married a week ago. They had just been married for the second time. Right. Um, they're out on vacation, I guess. And uh, apparently I heard that they had a, just the most horrific relationship, that it was either arguing, long periods of silence, killing. Um, it, but it was just, it was a horrible relationship. It was one of those, which I guess you would, you would expect between two people right. like this, right? And so I guess the trip out there had been horrible in the van. And they he sees her and he decides that, uh, you know, he has to act. And do you remember, you know, what I, happened? I think well, part of it was, uh, as far as she was concerned, he was getting back into it again. He was set off again. I think now the fantasy started to take over again. And so he was, I think, searching. She just thought they were on maybe a nice mm -hmm. vacation. But I think after that kind of blew off, I think he just particularly wanted to find somebody up in Oregon while they were up there. And when the opportunity came about with this Linda Aguilar, you know, he decided to put it into play. So it was pretty horrific because he picked her up. He got into the back seat, and then it, she pretty much knew what was up from the beginning. Right. And what I what I think is horrific about this case, about this specific one that he did. Let me be clear. Clear. They're all horrific. This is, as I said, the most. This this was horrible, and I, I feel bad for for like my poor young. Um, <laughs> Poor young woman that helps me on this stuff because she has to listen to this. And I know it's not easy because this is this is honestly the devil's work. Yeah, these are these are heinous crimes. These are heinous people that people don't want to talk about. We uh, want to forget. You want, that's what all you want to do. You want to forget about them. But we can't forget about that. They did occur. We can't. They're and out that, there. You know, if you don't understand history, then like mm -hmm. some say, you're doomed to repeat it. And the last thing we ever need is someone like this. Correct. Back in our community. Or anywhere doing this of what Gerald was doing. So he sees her, he, he they pick her up um, hitchhiking and, you know, she knows what's up. And I think this was one where he was pretty clear. He just got down, did his thing, uh, you know, did what he did, uh, beat her with a rock 
and then um, strangled her. Strangled her with some, I think it was fishing line. Fishing line, and yeah. then buried her. Yeah. But the horrible part is they found later when they discovered her body is that she actually had been buried alive. Right. Because they found the sand in with the With the autopsy, they could see that uh -huh. there was probably she wasn't dead when he put her in the ground. Right. There. They found sand and dirt in her lungs. Yeah. Terrible. Just, just horrible. Just a horrific death. Um, and that was in, in, you know, that was in Orford. And then they decided to, to come back. And so they come back to, to Sacramento. And then on 17th of July, 1980, it's, it's a bar yeah. they had been to a couple times. The, the sail in, I, it was there about five years ago in West Sac. It's like an old dive bar in West, in Western, in West Sacramento. I don't know if it's still there or it's, not. Hell yeah. It's I'm still during, there. I have friends that live not too far from there. <laughs> yeah. It's still there. It is the, still popular yeah, bar. It is the sail bar. in. And they still have the same parking lot. Last time right. I drove by there when I was in West Sac, all gravel. Yep. Not and, much has changed. So they were there that night with a number of other people in the bar. And there was a, an attractive um, bartender by the name of uh, Virginia Mokul. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mogul. Mogul. Okay. And 34 year old with a couple kids. Yeah. Right. Right. She was a mother just working, trying, trying to, to make do her a living, thing, trying yeah. to do her thing. She had served them a couple times, which is, which is interesting because this is the first time they had actually killed someone that they had actually had interactions with before. Right. All the rest had been just complete strangers, you know. Uh, Charlene had lured them and right. boom. But this one, they had actually talked to her. She had served them. But he decided he again, uh, Gerald had to act, and this and this is one where she was looking at him. Charlene is like, "What are you doing? We've interacted. These people mm -hmm. know who we are." That's and right. She couldn't believe that he was doing this. There were many people in the bar that right. night. They had and, all seen them in the bar, right? In the bar and, and the vehicle and everything. And um, she, you know, she, this is when she starts questioning. Correct. My gosh, what's wrong with you? You know, we, look at all, look at people are all around. And then you want this gal because he tells her specifically, yeah, I'm a, I want her. And and um, this is when I in the beginning referred to, you know, she was, you know, one of her descriptors is high IQ. And one of my descriptors for him is just stupid. Um, he might have been smart in many ways, you know, and uh, how he maybe got along on the streets, maybe not because he was in jail a hell of a lot for someone right. who might've known his way always around. Always got caught. Yeah. yeah. He always got caught. Yeah. Um, but this is when he started just doing stupid stuff. Right. Um, so he was in a bar with a ton of people in there. They, and apparently according to the cops, he would, they were very boisterous. Right. He and um, Charlene, they were loud. So they would be noticed yeah. and their car was in the parking lot. Yes. Um, and so he goes to the window and then, you know, has his gun and he captures her and um, yeah, she comes out. You know, and um, it's two o'clock in the morning. She just wants to go right. home. He walks up to her car and he shows a gun, gets her out. And the next thing here, she is at the van and they load, they put her in there. And in this one, she's says, why don't you just kill me? Right. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you just, why don't you just kill me? And he did with, this is one that he did with his bare hands. Right. There. Strangled her. Strangled her to death. Strangled her to death. And then they dumped her in the river. She was found in Slough House. I, uh, oh, no, no. Uh, uh, Clarksburg. Down, yeah. Clarksburg down by Freeport in that yeah. area there. They found her just along the river. Yeah. And that was, that was in July of 1980. So you can see he's starting to act because before there had always been, at least of the ones we know about, there had been like right. longer breaks, but now it's like June, July. And then now we come, but here is something else, John. And that is that the cops actually, this is the first time they had visibility with the cops. Right. So what happened there? Well, um, well, not on, on specifically this one here. Oh, yeah. They had, someone had gotten a, I think it was a license number or on the vehicle. 
and uh, made contact with her. West Sacramento made contact with yeah, her. Yeah, with Charlene. Charlene. And said, hey, you know, what was going on? And she just, oh, yeah, this and that. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we left. Well, who are you with? And everything was, you know, I was so drunk. You know, here she is now. Mind you, she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. I was so drunk. I don't remember. And It, it was, was the 70s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, and, and it was like, um, you know, she could she wouldn't give any good answers. But it was enough for them to think, well, you know. Yeah. Um, and, but her thing was, I was, I had so much booze. I don't know what happened, but I had no, you Correct. Know, That's I right. I don't know anything about that. I was so she drunk. Just played, I, was I don't drunk. even I know. played it off and they kind of like, mm, yeah. Okay. But what's important about this is that the, she was put into their name, Stephen Feel. Stephen Feel. And her, they were right. put into the record of right. like, the hey, system. Yeah. They right. were at this place when this happened. And so now they're in the system. Right. Now they're in the system. And which course, isn't, which isn't that big because remember back then, 70s and 80s, the technology then was very limited. So it was Let like me a file tell you, card it or... was like a file or a fiche. Um, because if you, I mean, I want the audience to understand, uh, we never had the technology. You know, we didn't have cell phones. Sure. No cell phones. We didn't have that type of technology. I mean, if you had a pager, uh, you were a big man on campus. Yeah. So uh, that was one of the things you know that made it more difficult. Is everything was done by hand. Mm-hmm. All searches were basically done by hand. And you had to look at reports and look at cards. We used to make out cards when we stopped people at the department and we'd fill these cards out and they'd be filed in a card box, you That's know, right. a file. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to actually go in and look for them. And that would tell you, oh, this person was stopped on this day. There was nothing to enter into. No computer, no anything. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the reasons it just made it very, very difficult to try to cross-reference or find these things. Right. That's right. Which... And I think we, we might have talked about this before, which is why I think that this was such an age of people who did these types of crimes because technology had not caught up to their level of evil yet. Right. It's a lot harder to do this now. Right. right? Oh, absolutely. You, you know, there's a camera everywhere. You know, you got things pinging here. Pinging Social there. media. I yeah. mean, right. uh, if these things were going on, if you take your phone, you'd be somebody was talking to you the way right. they had talked to other people. They'd be, yeah. uh, you know, videoing it. Right. So, oh, yeah. Today, it's today, just yeah, yeah, that, you yeah. have to be very cunning. Not that it can't be done. Yeah, it probably is being done while right. we speak. And but, it can be. You just, people are more cautious. They yeah. just know how to work it. Yeah, yeah. And I, again, I, and I know I talk about this. This is like what I think is one of my big, my great ideas, which is it took a period of time for technology to catch up to evil. And I yeah. think in the in the late 80s, it probably started getting there, right? The early 90s, right. we started getting. 86 DNA. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing. I mean, no DNA. No DNA. No DNA. I mean, how do you, you know, find uh, the evidence taken off these bodies to determine who the suspect was? Not then. No DNA. Nothing. Nothing. Not until 86. And then from that point on, technology started to grow a little bit. Now, even when I was in a district attorney's office in um, 95, 94, it was still tough. I would still have to like go through files, right? Right. Big drawers that you'd pull out. Yeah, hand files. Yeah, it it was still tough. So um, that was Virginia, Mokul, right? So now now they're in the system. Now they're in the system. So if something else happens, now there's something to cross-reference, right? But they still can't get them up in Butte County. Because they, yeah, they don't have the information. Yeah, they don't have the information and he's got a different name now. Right. And so what happens next is that within a, uh, God, I think that was, that was in July. Uh, so three months later. So he's like, you know, Hey, I got, I need to be fed. Um, I think he said that literally to Charlene. And so they decide to go and they go out and they have drinks at the bar. They're at the bar 
And the bar was close to Arden Fair Mall. And again, as we talked about at the beginning, Arden Fair Mall was a popular mall then. It was all new area. It was all growing. Sac State, right. which is the big college in Sacramento, is right down the way, right down the road. And a lot of the students from Sac State would go. Oh, right? yeah. It was a very popular place. And remember, Gerald only lived several blocks away. Where did just, he live? He lived just off of 80, off of Howe Avenue, right there, Bluebird Lane. Oh, my God. That's where he lived? Right there. Bluebird Lane? Bluebird Lane. Oh, my God. That's such a ratchet that's, place. That's just north of, of the Arden Fair Center. He so looks like he would live there. Yeah. Ah, uh, that is, man, I love that piece. Um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Bluebird so, Lane. So, you know, I always wonder if people, like, because, you know, someone lives in a place where, like, you know, Ted Kaczynski lived. Yeah. Someone lives in, you know, the Batgirl Killer's apartment. Yeah. And they don't know. The one right. I always drive by is the Sacramento Vampire Killer, Richard Trenton Chase. Yes. Who lived in an apartment that faces Madison Avenue right across from the um, Del Paso Country Club. Those apartments are still there. That apartment is still right. there. And I always wonder, God damn, do those people know? Yeah. <laughs> like what kind of That's shit went down yeah. in what that apartment? Over there? Yeah. No, I guess not. Nope. <laughs> no. No. Time just, you know, they say just time. You know, sheds a cover or or <laughs> spreads a little dust or smoke. So people and then, then again, people sometimes don't want to know. So it was November 1980. Um, they're they're having a drink at the bar and sorority, the sorority and fraternity guys from Sac State um, are having what they call Founders Day at, right. at the carousel. And the carousel was a popular place. Very popular. It was really popular. Yeah. I remember driving by it. Yeah. I think I in fact, too young. yeah, I think I went in. Um, yeah. On one occasion, just to see what it was like in there. Yeah. Really nice. I mean, it was a nice place. Yeah. Uh, young people hang out, that mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know. Yeah. But I, I wasn't a, I think I, I think I was at the mall and I wanted to see what it looked like because everybody mm -hmm. was, oh, we go to the, we hang out at the carousel. Yeah. We go to I the wasn't carousel. A, yeah. I, I wasn't a, I didn't, you wasn't didn't a person to hang yeah, out yeah. at bars. And I was too young. But, but I remember driving by it and I remember, oh, the carousel is kind of oh, like yeah. where the food court is now and right. stuff. Uh, but it was a big deal. I had a big name out there. Um, Anybody who grew up in Sacramento in that era era would right. know about the carousel. Um, again, a shopping mall. Mm -hmm. um, and this is late. I think it's like after midnight or 1 a.m. or it, it, it's late. Yes. Right. They've just come from having a beautiful night with all of their friends, um, Craig Miller and Mary Elizabeth Sowers. And they're coming out of the carousel talking to each other. And he's like, I want them. Right. I want them. Now, this is the one. That makes me think that Charlene played a much bigger role in this than than she leads us to believe, because there's a lot of shit that went on before they drove away with that couple. Right. And you want to talk about how that happened? Well, in fact, uh, again, uh, I think Charlene was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, not now we're doing this. Here are these. They're, they're much older. You know, they're 21 and 22. Bigger. Bigger. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big Craig, guy. Big guy. Yeah. You know, Gerald, no, short guy. Uh, and so it was a whole different circumstances. And I think Charlene now is thinking, you know, wow, do you really want to do this? But I mean, he was primed for this. This is what he wanted to do. Yeah, he made him, she, he made Charlene get those two. Mm -hmm. You know, That's so right. she, there she got out and she worked her magic. She worked her magic and they got into the car. And then one of Craig's for uh, fraternity brothers comes right. out and he sees them sitting in the back of this car right. with a man in the driver's in the in the passenger seat right that he doesn't right. recognize and he knows that that's not their car 
Right. And he's like, you know, what's up? And so he goes around to the car. Now, I've read I've read um, conflicting things about what happened at that point. What do you understand happened? At well, that point? my understanding is that um, he goes over there and he basically leans into the car. You know, and he it kind of jokingly that, you know, they're all in a good spirit. You know, they had a wonderful evening and and he kind of like, hey, what's up? What are you guys doing? You know, but one of the things that he later talks about is he's looking at them and, and he's looking at their faces and they're this kind of, you know, this mm-hmm. expressionless. And he's like, hey, what's going on? You know, but before and he sees Gerald is in the car. And they're just, they're not saying anything. They're just kind of looking and he just thinks, he's just taking like, this is a little weird for my friends. Mm -hmm. But again, while he's there, guess who comes up? Charlene. Charlene. And basically whacks him. She slaps him in the face. Yeah. Tells him, what, you know, what the heck are you doing over here? Well, get out of the car. You know, so now she's making the move to throw this guy out, which she could have said, hey, look. And then, you know, it could have ended there. Right. in, In my opinion. Or she could have said- Thank God you're here. Yeah. You need to rescue me from this hell. Oh, yeah. Right? No, let your, or or to say, hey, uh, let him out. We don't need, oh, you yeah. guys go on. We're, we're going to go do our own thing. They could have, they could have squashed it. No. She told the individual, Andy, get out. Yeah. After slapped she slapped him. him. Slapped him. And he's like, what the hell? <laughs> right? Right. But it was so weird and it was so obvious something was happening. Um, if I remember Craig's quote to him was, Andy, this is not a place where you want to be. Right. That's, That's what, what he, he tells said him. To him. Yep. This is not a place that where you want to be. That was the last thing he said to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he really, after, you know, get, getting slapped and everything, but he had enough uh, about him that he thought, I'm going to copy the license plate number. That's down. right. And he copies the license plate number down. And they're not using the van, they're in the Oldsmobile. They're in her car. That's they're right. in her car, the car that her parents bought her. So they're using no more in the van. Yeah. They're using another car. They had sold the van. They got, they, rid, of they the got van. rid of the van, sold it to a couple in Orangevale. Right. But again, but again, showing a sign of his stupidity, they left actually bloody sheets in there. Right. Which because the car, it was found later on. Yeah. And the the people who bought it said, hey, hey, you know what? Here's what we found in here. <laughs> right. You know, they left everything in there. Yes. And this it was it was almost like it was starting to unravel. It was starting to unravel. And, and I think Charlene, with this situation at Arden Fair, mm-hmm. I think she started to see something is really going wrong here. Yeah. He's becoming uh careless. Mm-hmm. Uh he's becoming a more aggressive. I mean, it's like a a, a stag and rut. Yeah. You know, I got to have this. Mm-hmm. I need this. You know, this burning fantasies that he's trying to, to uh, accomplish. You know, he starts in his head and then he's got to have them. Then he acts them out. And that I think she starts to see this whole thing started to unravel. So so here's what happens. Um, and this is, again, to, to, to my side against Charlene. They go back to the apartment. He takes Mary Elizabeth to the apartment. Right. Um, and Charlene's there. Right. And she's there sitting in the other room while he, and I don't, I'm not going to go into it, um, but um, what he does, what right. Gerald, what a guy like, what a monster like Gerald Gallego does. So they take Craig up 50, up to El Dorado County. 80. Oh, 80. Oh, no, him no, 50. No, they're on 50, right. Yeah, because, because, and here's why I know this, because, well, one, because it's created a huge problem in the case with jurisdiction. Because they right. had so many different counties involved. They right. had Yolo County, Sacramento County, Placer County, El Dorado County, Nevada. Nevada, uh, right. <laughs> it was like everywhere. So um, they took him up to Bass Lake. 
and shot him three times. Right. They're on Highway 50. Uh-huh. If you drive up today, Highway 50, you'll see it. Bass mm-hmm. Lake Road. That's right. And back in those days, it was desolate. That's there right. wasn't much out there. I mean, you didn't have, you go up there now and there's homes all over the That's place. That's where I live. Yeah. Yeah. I you live don't four have miles. that today. Yeah. That was Bass Lake Road. You did have residents up there because yeah. one of the residents up there would say they thought they heard three shots in yeah. the early morning hours. That's right. But they drove up there and that's where they made Craig get out mm-hmm. and walk in front of the vehicle. But they had him take his shoes off. Yeah. Why was that? I read well, that. Gerald uh, basically told him, okay, give me your shoes. That way, when we leave you here, uh, it's going to be hard because it was all gravel road. Yeah. And so it's going to be painful for you to walk, but it'll take you time to get back to the road. So he won't fight. Right. That's what he's telling him to get out of the car. So I think Mm -hmm. at that point, Craig thinks, okay, maybe I have a chance. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. He gets out and starts walking. And then Gerald gets out and then walks up behind him and shoots him in the back of the head. Three times. Correct. Three times. And that's Bass Lake Road. And as, as, as John mentioned, I, I actually live there now. Um, I, well, I live in what's called um, a place called Serrano. But then that was all. In fact, he was discovered by hunters. <laughs> that shows you what kind of kind of country that was then. Right. A it couple was, of young guys. Yeah. Out there. Bass Lake Road right. was a very small road. Um, and, and you had deer out there. Yeah, and, and it wasn't like they hit him. Yeah. He was basically kind of in the open. Just left him right out. Right there. on side of the road. Yeah. Just boom. Right and there. some of the people who live, I, I wonder if some of them might still live there now up on the hill, but in some of those old homes that I see up there, um, but they heard gunshots. They right. reported that. Told told police that they believe they heard uh, up to three shots mm-hmm. in the in the morning hours. So then Charlene drives them back. Right. Back to Sacramento. Right. To back the apartment. To, back to the apartment. Where Gerald takes uh, uh, Mary. Right. Takes her into the to the bedroom while Charlene sits outside by herself. No gun right. for her head. Yeah. Nope. And he does, you know, the horrific things that Gerald Gallego does. Right. And then they drive her up to Placer off of, I think it was off of Sierra College Boulevard. It was right near, yeah. Uh, Sierra, well, now it's Sierra College Boulevard. And then you have Sierra College right there. And that area was just all farmland. That was all farmland. All farmland. And uh, that's where they took her out to one of the off-roads. And... Um, Put her out. I think it was in a ravine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the pictures and they actually had found her remains. So she'd been out there long enough uh, that that you could tell that was a period of time that had mm-hmm. gone by. And um, uh, they left her there. And it was, it was a, again, a couple of young guys out hunting out in the area that found her uh, in there. And she was still wearing the clothing that she wore that night. She ah. was still in the clothing. And I remember looking at the picture and it was just... So mind boggling for me. You know, they just basically had her. It looks like they had her sit in this little hole or a concave area. They had her sit there and then he fired the shots into the top of her head. And I just it just struck me of how evil must you be Mm -hmm. to do something like that? And she was honestly in I know the terms used a lot, but if you read up about her, she was the all-American girl. Yes. All-American girl had a great life ahead of her, great career. You know, just now budding. I mean, yeah. it was all there. Had everything mm-hmm. in life to live for. Yeah. I mean, it was just Great incredible. Family. And Craig also. And, yeah, I mean, and yeah. again, they were just one of those all-American couples. So, you know, I always wonder if like one of the reasons Gerald wanted them is because he saw them and that's something he never could have had. Right? Or achieved. Or achieved. Or achieved. Right. That, he, that would never be his life. And he hated them for having that life. Yeah, because he was going to show them. Yeah. And it seemed, you know, when you look at it, you look at his other victims. We're all talking teenagers. 
easy to manipulate, you know, easy to control. And that's what it made it easy for him. Now you got adults, mm -hmm. grown people in Craig could have fought him. But maybe maybe it was that maybe he wanted to exert upon him. Hey, you know what? Uh, you may think you're something, but here I am. Mm -hmm. You know, now I've got the gun. Get in. You'll do as I say. Yeah. yeah you never know. You never know what yeah. was going through his mind. Yeah. He was that creepy. He was. So now. They go back out there, I think, I, th I think what I read is they go back out there to hide the body and they realize, oh shit, <laughs> the body's gone. There's a lot of footprints, there's cigarette butts, they're about 70s. Right. Um, and so they're like, oh God, this is, this is coming down again. But again, that's how he started decompensating, right? Right. Like he couldn't cover his tracks anymore. He was just acting like an animal. Like, you, you know what I mean? No, no thought behind right. the crimes anymore. anymore. It was, it was Whatever was going on, it was totally unraveling. Right. He did, it was like he didn't really care. He he was he was so comfortable with himself. He thought he'd never get caught. Yeah. You know, hey, look at me. I I can do all these things. I'm not even getting caught. Look what I've done right. so far. And this is one of the things with male male serial killers. Eventually, you know, between women and men, men serial killers get caught more frequently than women, because what happens is they just get more unraveled as it goes along. Mm -hmm. And get worse and start doing things and eventually get caught. Where female serial killers, they can go a long period of time. And because of their gender, mm -hmm. because of how they do things, they're never looked at in any suspicious way. So they're allowed to carry on. Right. And he is a great you know, example of somebody that starts to come unraveled yeah. after so many killings. Coming unraveled. And, and you know, there, there's good examples of that. Dorothy Puente, no one ever suspected her. No. No one ever suspected her. She's, you know, even though she wasn't, she was a freaking grifter. But yeah. anyway, but to the to the public who see her on the street, you know, they're like, ah, oh, abuelita. And she wasn't Mexican either, by the way. That's right. So but they're like, ah, oh, abuelita. And she just gets caught for st stupid reasons out of her control. Right. Same with Comiskey, right? Comiskey, same thing. Same thing. She could have kept going, but a stupid thing got her caught right. out of her control, right? Right. But you're right. These The the male serial killers, it's that that testosterone starts getting in there right. or whatever it is. Ted you know? Bundy, you know, he just, he, 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 you know, he's on, he's on the run, right? He escapes uh, when they captured him from one agency and he goes, he, what does he do? He goes to Florida and he goes down there and kills some co-eds. Yeah. Maybe his, Biggest killings ever. It's not like right? I'm trying to get out of the country. I'm going to get to Canada. I'm going to flee somewhere. No, I think hey, I'm going to go down and kill some more people. I always <laughs> they're just totally unraveled. I always say there are two kinds of people in the world. There are two people. There, there's two kinds of people in the world. There, and here is the how I define them. There's a person who, if they get someone shoots at them and they miss, they go, "Whoo! I'm not going to get in that position again." Right. And there's the other person who, if they get shot at and the person misses, they go, "Hey, I'm bulletproof." And I think the men tend to fall in that, se that right. second category, right? right? Instead right. of going, hey, I'm not going to get in that position again. Right. Ted Bundy, I think, was a good example of that. Totally. Um, so, okay. So, this is where you kind of come into the case, right? Now, you're working. Right. So, they, they, the cops now, they're in the system. They're like... The guy had taken the license plate down, right? Right. And they're looking at that case in the CLN. And they're like, hold it a second. There was a, there was a Charlene Gallego... Right. Or in a Stephen Field that were at that sale in. Yeah. When that crime happened. Yeah. The Yolo hmm. detective starts putting things together. It starts to unravel because um, and, and this is what now he starts to look at what he's doing and how he's going to correct it. Mm -hmm. You know, leaving Craig Miller up there in the open. Mm -hmm. OK, well, now he's found. Craig is found by the, the two, two boys up there. But um, they have Andy, their friend, copied that license plate number down. Craig. 
and Mary doesn't show up in the morning. So now the police are contacted and a report is generated. They get talk with everybody involved. They get uh, the uh, um, license number and start looking who it was done. Now the police, now the detectives, Detective Burchette, Detective Taylor, now they start going out and contacting Charlene's parents because the vehicle that he copied belonged to her. So they go to her house and they start saying, hey, where's your daughter? She's not here. She's with her boyfriend. They don't say husband. She's with her boyfriend. Oh, you know, this and that. Uh, we don't know. They said they were going here. And anyway, now it starts to. Well, in the meantime, she calls while the detectives are there. And I'm sure she's like, oh, my goodness, I knew this was going to happen. So she tells her parents and she tells the detectives, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I can get there. Yeah, I'll be there. Well, she never shows up, you know, never shows up. And uh, that's when it now starts to go up. Gerald panics. He wants to get her and they want to go back up to Bass Lake Road. Mm -hmm. And they want to get whatever evidence they can get from that scene to kind of protect them. But what they don't know is Craig's already been found. Mm -hmm. So that whole thing is starting to unravel and it starts getting worse and it gets bigger. And now the ball is getting bigger and bigger. You know, more things are coming forward. All these outside agencies, these different jurisdictions start seeing in this particular case. And now they're looking at their kidnap, mm -hmm. murder and rapes. And now they're all getting together saying, yeah. wait a minute, we have similarities here. Yeah, Oregon is saying, yep. hey, everyone. we had someone who was strangled with nautical wire. Hold Washu a County, everybody. Yeah. Now everyone's saying, wait a minute, we've right. got the same kind of it's thing going on in. here. Yeah, it's all, mm -hmm. it's all coming together. So what do they do? What do they do? Charlene and Gerald? Yeah. Well, at that, that particular point, uh, she they do have an opportunity and meet with her. And she's talking to Detective Burchette. And I think, and Detective Taylor, and she gives, and the, her parents are there, and she gives some bogus, you know, uh, well, yeah. Um, and now at that time, uh, Gerald's her husband. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, you know, we were out. Uh, we went to a show. We went to the village. Remember the village? Oh, yeah. Movie theater on Fulton. On Fulton Avenue. Yeah, you know? That's and, right. Uh, she said, yeah, we went out there. It's like old tiki style Yeah. Or what something. car did you take? Because now they have the license number and they have an eyewitness. Mm-hmm. And- um, so she says, oh, yeah, well, we took his uh, red little car, you know. The Triumph. The Triumph. Uh, and so, and he's not there. Mm -hmm. But the detectives see the car outside and they're like, uh, wait a minute. So then they start pressuring her a little bit. And she starts saying, you know what? I'm sick. I'm pregnant. I don't feel good. You know, let me think about it. You know, when I sober up again, when I sober up, she's like seven months pregnant. Uh, when I, when <laughs> I, you know, when I get better, I, I can talk about it and we can, you know, start doing stuff. Okay. So they're still cautiously looking at things, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, but one other witness that really becomes a, a key part. There was another witness who had seen Charlene and um, uh, Gerald in the vehicle. This couple was and this particular individual was outside in Arden Fair when Gerald and Charlene drove by and looked at he and his girlfriend just staring at him. And I'm thinking, was he picking? Ah, oh, you know what? Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll get them. He was hunting. That's right. And the witness says he just dead stared him. He just looking at him like sizing him or whatever. But it was that stare like, you know, here's the predator. Mm -hmm. Here's the prey. And he got, he because he did that, this witness was able to remember his face. Uh. He says, I can't tell on the female. Yeah. 
But he says, I definitely was looking eye to eye with the male. And he describes Charlene, you know, little mousy hair, kind of tiny. I remember that. And uh, he would be able to pick when the detectives take photographs over Mm -hmm. of Gerald in a lineup. He picks him right out and says, that's the guy that was in the mall. That's the guy that was in the car. That's the guy that looked at me like, you know, he wanted to kill me. You know, he was just one of those looks. The guy described, he just looked dead at him. Yeah. You know, and I think at that time they were probably saying, is this the couple that we want? Yeah. But it wasn't. So the couple kept walking, but he never forgot his face. So they go and they now they're they're on the run. Right. Right. Did they get see? Here's what I'm confused about. Did Charlene's parents help them? Because I'm kind of torn because it sounds like they helped them. But then they also called and let them know that they were sending them money or I I don't. The way I read it uh, and understand it is that they weren't all that cooperative i mean they, they there was a lot of things they probably could have mentioned mm-hmm. they never mentioned the fact that instead of gerald being her boyfriend they were married yeah and they eventually tell detectives hey they're married i think what happens is they realize something has happened you know hey the boyfriend's picked out your daughter it's her vehicle you know all the answers she's now gone they're on the run they've taken off and now i think the williams become mm-hmm. very cooperative but you remember, I mean, it's like, um, it would probably be like parents. Yeah, yeah. You know, you want to protect your child. But at a certain point, you're like, okay. You know, and at a certain point when you realize, yeah. you know, the child that we love, the child that we reared, mm-hmm. um, that had every opportunity for a good life, um, is now in mm-hmm. deep trouble. So, so there was a piece of evidence that came out, the bullet casings, right? The bullets. Right. When did that happen? When did they when did they find out that those were the bullets that matched the bullets that killed Craig Miller? Okay, um, we had found uh, found out that uh, he worked at the Bob Les Club oh. on Del Paso Boulevard. He was a bartender there for a short time. You know, I mean, he worked other bartend uh, as a bartender in other places. Yeah, but he kept getting fired. He got fired all the time. Every, yeah. He worked in a card room. He got fired. So you have to admit, what was a guy doing that he got fired? You know, I mean, it's like he couldn't hold a job. He couldn't do anything. Yeah. People just didn't. You know what it was? People didn't like him. Yeah. Overall. Well, they liked him at first. At first. Yeah. But then he started getting weird. And yeah. they just said, you know what? Gone. Yeah. Uh, and so he's in this bar. It's late. It's early. They, you know, they're going to at closing time. And there's a, uh, uh, an intoxicated, inebriated individual there that won't get up, won't go out. So what mm-hmm. does he do? He takes his 25 caliber Beretta. And he just unloads shots into the ceilings of the bar. And, you know, oh, everybody's just stunned. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, uh, he gets together with one of the other bartenders there uh, who would become another key witness. And um, she uh, talks with him about it. And he says, hey, look, you know, this is what was happening. I apologize. Don't tell the owner. I'll get up. So she watches him. Mm -hmm get up and patch these holes up in the ceiling but leaving the bullets in yeah he doesn't he doesn't wonder where the bullets went he, he probably thinks they went outside into space yeah somewhere <laughs> yeah. you know um, and so he's patching this up with the stuff well anyway that information was received by detective Burchette. and um i believe uh, we had gone out one time and that's when the information uh, we we gleaned that information. Went out, talked to one bartender, and he says, "This is a person you need to talk to. She would know everything, and she knows about the incident." And so there was nothing then. But then uh, Gene went back, and uh, with the witness, 
and a couple of people from the bar there, he climbed up into the attic and he found those slugs. Oh. He found those slugs. Miracle. He found yeah. those slugs. I mean, he was, when he knew there was holes up there, it's easy to, to kind of evaluate if there's holes, there's got to mm -hmm. be something up there. He got up in that small scrawl, scrawl, uh, Good crawl for Gene. place. Yeah, he did. I mean, the <laughs> guy had just, you know, he, he was, he was going to solve this case. And, uh, you know, he got up there. He climbed up there himself and got in there and he took the slugs. And he got him. And then he, mm -hmm. after he got him, then he booked him into the evidence and they were going to be sent out to the lab. And so that's what really tied him, them, right? To the, they knew then at that point, we got our gun. We know that's his gun. We right. got our killers. With the forensics, the lab finds that the slugs in the ceiling mm -hmm. at the Bob Les Club, they match slugs that were found in the body of Craig Miller. That's right. And that was the bingo. That was the bingo. Also, um, the slugs they found in um, Miss Sowers, mm -hmm. they were so deteriorated that they were unable to. However, in both cases, in Bass Lake Road, they left the casings. <laughs> this was an auto, a semi-automatic. Yeah. He leaves the casings. Oh, my God. With Mary Sowers, where he kills her, he leaves the casings. So they were able to take those casings, and with the casings, they could see where the, the uh, 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 pin marks and all the forensics used in identifying these casings. And they were able to, to uh, show that both the murders were committed by the gun, by him. And then, so now, so now, now the noose is really, right? Oh, yeah. Just really closing in. And so they decide we're out of here. So now they're, they've absconded, kind of like everybody in our stories do. Right. They hit the road. Um, and they have asked the Williams, right? The Williams, right. Charlene's family. Right. To wire them money. Right. For, yeah, they have them wire a couple of times. Okay. A couple of times they get a wire. Hey, uh, we got, you know, we're doing this and doing that. And the Williams are kind of like, hey, you know, the cops, you know, they kind of, I think they're telling me, hey, you know what, the cops and everything. But as my understanding is not all that mm -hmm. cooperative at that particular point. Okay. There was some resistance, you know. I mean, Charlene's father just thought she walked on water. Mm. I mean, this was the type of relationship they had. You know, he took her everywhere in his business outings, right. um, yeah. everything, bought her the car, did all of that. You know, I mean, he shed all of this on his only daughter. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you're going to be resistant when people are telling you this is what they're involved in. You're going, get out of here. Yeah. That's not what my daughter's involved in. And so there's some resistance. Uh, but, you know, as, as time goes, they see. They see what's going on. As more evidence unfolds, more of these crimes are starting to be publicized. They starting to see, oh my gosh. And so and so now they they're now the feds are after them, right? Get the cross, FBI, FBI's FBI, involved. FBI's involved. These right. guys are crossing state lines. Right. They need a UFAP warrant. So you contact the FBI and we think they've crossed state mm -hmm. line. We need a UFAP warrant. Mm -hmm. So a warrant can be used anywhere where mm -hmm. they find them. And uh and now now the, the big chase is on. Yeah. Where where are they? That's what everyone wants to know. Where are they? Yeah. In Sacramento, of course, was all because this was a big deal here and it's on the right. news all, all the time. I remember that. Um, yeah, but it's funny because you only knew about one. You didn't know the depth of depravity right. that they had done at you that point. You knew about Craig Miller Correct. and Mary Sowers. But as far as everything else, they were just trying to connect that. Yeah. And that would come later when they mm -hmm. finally, in the end, talk about yeah. here's all they've done. And I think it just, yeah. I think people just couldn't believe 
uh, the level of, of their horrific crimes, their spree. So on November 1st, they had killed the Miller, Miller and, and Sauer. And November 26th, uh, the FBI get them in Omaha, Nebraska. November 17th. November 17th. Yeah. Okay. So it happened quick. Right. It happened pretty quick. Right. And they were um, they were ca- they were caught in Omaha, Nebraska, trying to get money at a Western Union that the, the Williams were, were, were wiring them and FBI. Right. Said, what hey. had happened is she called home, said, uh-huh. hey, mom, dad, I need some cash. Uh, or, you know, we'll maybe work. I, I'm sure she said we'll work this out or, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to come back or but we need money. So uh, I think um, the Williams say, OK, we're going to uh, wire you some money, go to the Western Union there and they tell them where they are. And then that family contacts the FBI and says, our daughter called. Here's where they're going to be. They think they're getting a pickup of money. And so the FBI and everybody from every jurisdiction is there. And when they come to get the money, uh, boom, that's it. No resistance, nothing. He just, hey, here I am. Yeah. They just take him. Oh, like I've been in jail so many times. That's yeah. Just a, you know, yeah. He, he was probably thinking, oh, I'll get out of this. Yeah. You know. So they take him, Sacramento? Yeah, they bring Sacramento. him back. Because I know there's a big jurisdictional fight because, again, their crimes had, had been, well, they didn't know all of them at that at that point. Right. But they did know Placer, El Dorado, and Sacramento, and YOLO. Right. Um, but so they take him to Sacramento. And is this when you met him or? Yeah, he was here in Sacramento County Jail mm-hmm. when we brought him over mm-hmm. one time. And uh, again, like, I, I will never forget. I will never forget seeing him being next to him. I mean, I was sitting right next to him in in a small interview room, in a small holding room. And he, he was chained up. But, uh, you know, he he uh, he was just unreal. He, I mean, he never said a word. He just, you know, why? basically, why am I over here? You know, and, and I, I'm sure Gene was hoping that, you know, something would be said mm-hmm. about anything. And uh, but uh, to no avail, it wasn't, he wasn't going to do anything. But he was. We weren't mm-hmm. there that long, and I took him back. But I, I remember me being next to him, me being around him, made me physically ill. It made me physically ill. It was like this aura that he had around him. Wow, was so evil. I remember coming back to the Hall of Justice, and I felt sick. That's amazing. And I, it's not I, surprising. No, I, yeah, and, and I think I told that to uh, to uh, someone else when I'd gone home. I think before that, I said, you know, I said, I said, I felt this pressure. It was like somebody was like a pressure on me. It was strange. Mm-hmm. I'd never experienced that, and never did after that at any time. In any other case, no. And I've been around all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. More Solomon, Pointe, everybody. Mm-hmm. Never. God. But he was just that evil of a person. Evil. And, you know, of course, some people say, you know, people have these vibes. Yeah. People have this aura. People have this extra energy that they cast. So I and I, I don't know a lot about that, but I'll tell you, I know what I felt. And I and it made me ill. It made me ill. I mean, he was pure evil. You can't help but think he knew that he had that effect on people. I think I, I think. Yeah, I think he knew that he had that much in power mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Charles Manson. When you look at him, mm-hmm. here's another guy with small stature, small stature, yeah. same thing. But when you looked at him and people, it just, oh, yeah. Even his followers. Yeah. Bigger, you know, could have over. Uh, no, they just, wow. Yeah. You know, he his just his whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's remarkable. Yeah. So, so John, um, one of the most in- interesting parts of the trial I found um, was that 
Gerald Gallegos, as they entered, um, you know, as they as, as they entered the the defense portion of the trial, decided that he wanted to um, be his own attorney. I think, as most sociopaths do, they believe that they're the smartest people in the room and that they, you know, can have their can have their way with everybody because they just don't know as much as them. And so, as as a true sociopath, Gerald Gallegos de- decided he's going to be his own attorney. And I think more importantly, he knew that the key witness for the prosecution was his former wife, was, well, was his spouse, right? Charlene Gallego, because she is the one that had flipped on him, at least for the things that she admitted to. Lord knows how many other crimes are out there that she didn't talk about um, or that she didn't know about. Um, So Charlene, his spouse, was the lead witness for the prosecution. Gerald was now going to be his own defendant. And in court, he tried to, the first thing he tried to do was say, aha, spousal privilege. We're married. You cannot compel a, uh, you know, one spouse to testify against the other, which is true law. And um, so he tried to invoke the spousal privilege because if he could knock out Charlene, they really couldn't get him on a lot of other stuff, right? And he knew that was the deal because by acting as his, his own attorney, he was, you know, he was, he had knowledge of all of the deals that had been cut. So he knew she was the key. So an intrepid investigator for the Sacramento, I think it was Sacramento County DA, but let me just say the DA's office. Might have been Sacramento, might have been Yellow. There were so many counties involved. But Frank Dale, who was an investigator for the district attorney, I, I think actually I think it was Sacramento because he was working for the prosecuting uh, county. So um, Frank Dale went to the former wives that he conf- could find and he was able to find the second wife. Remember, he had been married seven times, twice to the same person, right? Charlene uh, was number six and number seven. So he found wife number two. And wife number two said, what? Gerald Gallego, he never divorced me. We're still married. Pulled out the wedding certificate. Frank Dale went to the court, didn't find any divorce that had ever been filed. Ergo... Gerald Gallego could not invoke the spousal privilege against Charlene because they were never legally married because he was still married to the second wife. Therefore, not only was he not married to Charlene, he was a bigamist. So they could have got him on charges of bigamy also. So Charlene was able to come forward and to testify against Gerald. And all of the cases that she brought forward, right, the the ten, the um the ten murders were alleged and proven, and he was given the death penalty. I have always found that that was incredibly amazing, and that more people don't talk about that um uh, because that was a damn good investigator for the DA's office. So, so they're here, they're going to go to trial, right? Um, she cuts a deal, right? But it, she held out for a while, right? Nope. Or no, she didn't hold up. No, nope. no. What happened? All this time, she doesn't say diddly, won't cooperate diddly, nothing. Nothing. Until, and this is what a lot of people don't know. Gerald was writing letters to Charlene at jail. You can communicate that way, right? You send you send post letters and they get them. Because at the old county jail, you had the women's facility. The male facility was all in one building. But he could mail letters out. So on one particular occasion, he just happened to be mailing letters to his girlfriend. Oh. 
And by some strange means, the letter to his girlfriend ended up going to Charlene and Char and the letter uh, to Charlene ended up going to the girlfriend. The mail somehow ended up in different hands. And Charlene read the letter that he wrote to this girlfriend. And that was it. That's that what was did it. it. That's what you never see. You never you read. You never hear about that. And yeah. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. After everything she endured, everything that she decided, I am not going to give Gerald up. I am not going to say anything because she actually thought she was the pinnacle of all women. That she was it. She was the top girl. And as long as that was that way, she was fine. By the way, that, by the way just to, not to interrupt your emotion there, but that was a big deal with them. His number yes. one, his number two. Right. He ranked them. Right. And, and she, she, yeah. she wanted to be number, number one. Number one. Yes. Do what you want to do, but I'm number one. Yeah. Well, whatever was in that letter, and I can't just, I can't imagine with his fantasies, his sexual fantasies mm-hmm. and what he was talking about, that he was describing something or saying something. She read this. And that's what did it. And that's why Charlene Gallego tur- turned on Gerald. Yeah. The <laughs> next thing, boom. That fast. I want to make a deal. And then, of course, that in in uh, that causes uh, all the agencies now. Mm-hmm. She wants to turn, make a deal. So the way she has to do now, they've got to cooperate all these deaths. So she's going with agencies all the time. They're taking her to Washoe County. They're taking her to all these different places where Slough House, mm-hmm. where the two girls were killed at Slough House and all these areas. So she's able to cooperate all those murders he did. All 10 of them. Some of them are, are tough as far as evidentiary information, but she can go to all the sites. Now, the two girls from the uh, fair, mm-hmm. they're the ones that they didn't find. Right. For years. Yeah. That years. was because she couldn't pinpoint where it was, where it was. And I mean, they were out of Reno. They went all the way up Highway 395. And then they actually cut across California and they were in Lassen County. And that's where they got rid of them. Those are the only two. But it was pe- the f- the owners of the property that found their remains mm-hmm. almost, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. But yeah, she she gave all the information and then she got on the stand and she would testify against him. And she talked a lot about, you know, one of some of the things. And at this particular point, this is when she decided that, you know, she was a victim of all this. She was a victim. You That's know? when that started coming out. Right. She was a mm-hmm. victim. You know, he made me do it. I was, you know, I thought he was going to kill me because he could have. Mm-hmm. But when I look at him and I think, yeah, he could have killed her. But the there was too many people that knew they were together. I mean, they were married. I mean, that would lead right to him. Right. So I think, well, I, I don't think he would have killed her. You know, but she said, you know, he could have killed me at any time, but he never did because she was such a good lure. Right. Right. You know, she was really yeah. good as bait. Yeah. She's you know, perfect. and he just toss her out there, bring back a couple of people. And uh, yeah, I don't, in, in my opinion, I don't think he would have ever killed See, her. I don't either because I think to kill, if he had, if he would have killed her, he would have, he would have to kill a whole bunch of other people. And he wasn't that type of killer. Right. Right. He was a, he was a, a sadist. He was a, right. he, he acted on his emotions, his animalistic stuff. Right. right. Exactly. He, he wasn't a guy who's going to go out and kill 12 people who's all seen them together. And, right. right. He's not no. going to do that. No. It's and I don't, deal. and with her, I think also is that I, I can't help but think even given everything that he did to her. And he did a lot to her sexually mm-hmm. that she testified to in open court. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, some of the stuff that he did to her was yeah. just unimaginable. 
but she talked about it. Mm-hmm. And even though she didn't care for it, she mm-hmm. did it. She went along with him to make because she wanted, wanted to, to always one. make him happy. And she wanted to be the I'm number, your number one, one girl. You don't need yeah. to go anywhere. You don't need to have other people. Mm-hmm. I'm your number one. I will do this for you. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, she said, I, I'm a victim. In fact, I know here uh, a few years, uh, several years back, she did an interview mm-hmm. with a local station. And in the interview, she ended up saying that, you know, um, a lot of people, there were a lot of victims killed by Gerald. She just happened to be one that lived. And I thought to myself, you know, how terrible to say that, you know, to to say that you're no different than the victims that he butchered, Mm -hmm. that he raped, kidnapped, shot or bludgeoned or beat with a hammer to death. And you're putting yourself in that position as Mm -hmm. one of them. Right. And I thought the audacity of that is just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he, he tortured them in ways that I won't even talk about on this show because I just can't because those are thoughts that stay with you. It was really hard. And I read the court cases and those are very hard to, re- to read because, right. as you know, court cases go into every gory detail. Right. And this. And yeah. she did. She covered it all. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, she, she I mean, it was it was her. They had to make a deal with her. They had to make a deal with her. But did, okay, so to cut to the, not to cut to the chase, but to finish this up, she ended up, he was found guilty and he got the death penalty. And that's what the prosecutor wanted, right? The prosecutor wanted the death penalty and that was what he was driving for and he got it. Right. Um, And in order to do that, she cut a deal, gave her 16 years, I think, 16 years, eight months. Yeah, she did 16 years, eight months. I think it was a 17 year sentence. Okay. She did 16, eight. And um, she was released. In, God. 1997. She's been living amongst us for 20, 24 years. Yes. Uh, Charlene Gallego. Yeah. Who and was it there. Was, it was surprising that she surfaced. And of course, you know, uh, I'm, I would uh, I would imagine she's living under a different name. Uh, but she is still in the Sacramento area. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she actually... Uh, you know, allowed to be interviewed as long as they mm-hmm. kept her identity. Yeah. I saw the uh, interview. They had a black face. Or yeah. That blacked shadow. her out and, yeah. and she went along with it. And of course, that's when, you know, she basically puts herself as, mm-hmm. as a, she was just a victim. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at everything in the totality. And when you look at everything and you read everything, then there's a big question mark on that. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I talked about her, you know, her proclivity for, you know, sex with women in the beginning, not again, not to be salacious or not to cast judgment on anybody right. who right. who does that. But I, you wonder what parts of the story she left out, right? What parts of the story she left out. And when she's giving the prosecutors this evidence, they're going to give her every benefit of the doubt. They're not going to dig in on shit because right. then she'll shut up. They're not going to challenge her on it. They're not going to challenge you're, her. You're giving into the defense. That's right. And so they had to go with it. They listened to her. She laid it out. They cut her the deal, you know. Yeah. And um, so you I, know, I can't imagine if the letters would have never been switched. How would they, you know, where where would the prosecution have been then? Were they you switched know? on purpose? I also wonder if some uh, guard was like, hey. I I don't know. <laughs> or you won't answer. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's the classic question. It's the one that happened up in Canada with Carla Homolka. Yes. Who, again, probably some of the most horrendous crimes that I do not, I, I don't, if you already know about him, you know about him, but I don't think anyone should research them because what they did to their own sister, her own sister, um, and the prosecutors cut a deal with her. 
sweetheart deal, like a real like eight years or something yeah. like that for these for these for these killings on behalf of her husband. She played the same thing that Charlene did. Oh, I was abused. I was this is all part of it. After the deal is cut and they can't go back, they find a box of VHS tapes up in right. a, up in a, a, a the attic. And the prosecutors get the VHS tapes and they go, well, hey, let's look at these. And they're tapes of Carla essentially directing the action that takes place with these poor young victims. Right. And But there's nothing they can freaking nothing. do about no, it. No, they cut the deal already. They cut the deal. Yeah. So Carla Homolka is walking amongst the people of Canada. And if you if you Google her name, you'll see that people are keeping track of her. Um, she ended up marrying the brother of one of her defense attorneys. Um but 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 this kind of reminds me of that. It's like, did yeah. you have to cut that deal? I, I know she did like twice as much as Carla Homolka. But you know what? Her crimes are like five times as worse because there's so many victims right. and they were so young and they were so innocent. Well, they they had uh, on, the, on the Craig Miller and Mary Sowers case, they had him dead to right. They had him dead to right. But they, they had need, they had all these other cases. But they need, did, did they need to cut a deal for Craig and Carla? And you know, Mary? I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that they wanted to bring in all those other cases. Okay. And they were able to using Sacramento as the jurisdictional agency. And that's why the case was tried here. Okay. Well, actually, it wasn't tried here. They moved to Martinez, California, because of all the publicity. Yeah, yeah. So they moved it, you know, what, yeah. a, a 80 miles down the road, like it was yeah. going to make any difference. <laughs> Uh, but they moved it down there, and of course, he's found guilty. Yeah, so he was found guilty, got the death penalty. But what's ironic is that after doing all this, so they got the death, so they could get the death penalty, he ends up dying of cancer, like not that much longer, right? After well, his, yeah, interesting. He he's uh, after he's sentenced, all done, he's taken to San Quentin. Well, after he, after this case, now Washoe County, they want to prosecute him. The state of Nevada wants to prosecute him on murder charges, death case. So what they do is they get an extradition warrant and it's to get him out of San Quentin death row and bring him up and put him on trial in Nevada. So what now is happening at San Quentin is the state is trying to prevent the extradition of him. They want to keep him there. Now, you got to remember also Rose Bird is... In the Supreme Court right now. For and the death penalty right. is basically zilch. Yes. So, but they're, they're trying to keep him on death row because they know Nevada has a death penalty. However, uh, they're able to serve the extradition warrant. And uh, the detectives, Lieutenant Ray Biondi, who did a masterful yes. job. He's a legend. On this case. Yeah, he yeah. was a legend. Yeah. God bless him. Mm -hmm. uh, he did so much work. He mm -hmm. and Stan Reed, both another guy that I looked up to mm -hmm. with homicide detective sergeant. And, um, you know, they did such a great job putting all of these cases because the majority of them were in their jurisdiction. And he really put a good job together. And, uh, you know, I give him so much credit, he and Stan Reed. Um, and so what happens at uh, Folsom, I mean, at Folsom is uh, San Quentin is uh, they all go down there. And what they're going to do is they're going to serve the extradition warrant and they're going to actually transport him back. They're not going to wait for any bus or anything like that. They actually go down. There's a little bit of paper shuffling and a little bit of, I don't know, this. However, no dice. They get it. The appeals court rejects any stopping it. And they're able to physically take him, put him in a car, and they head right up to Carson, Nevada, right up to the state capitol. And there he's incarcerated. He's put on trial. He's found guilty for the deaths of the two girls. And uh, he sat on their death row, never to come back.
And I remember that even the prosecutor in that case, he vowed, and I remember this specifically, he would say, Gerald Gallegos, it will never go back to sit in the death row in California. He'll be executed in the state of Nevada. I remember that. Yeah. By the way, that was a huge deal in right. California at the time politically. Yeah. Rose Bird, the Rose Bird, Bird Court, yeah. who essentially refused to allow any executions at that time. So that was that was right. what was behind that. Yeah. Um, well, I guess Gerald ended up just like his daddy, right? Right. And Put on death row, um, just awaiting execution. And uh, for him, uh, he he got uh, developed cancer. Mm-hmm. And that's what he passed away from cancer in the year 2002. Yeah. And actually, he passed away one day after his 56th birthday. He celebrated his 56th birthday, and the next day he was dead. But I can't help but thinking, and you know, I know a lot of people think, well, you know, it's just too bad they didn't execute him and do all of that. But, you know, that's for the courts to say and what and, and their in their system. But what I always think about is this. I think more terrifying is here's this animal that's sitting in death row in Nevada, 24 hours a day, you're locked up. You're given an hour, you know, basically Mm -hmm. 23, you're given an hour to get out. He has to sit there and languish in his own fantasies. Mm -hmm. He has to sit there and think about what he would want to do, what he could have done, everything about that. He has to languish in that every day. That's the type of person he was. He didn't stop thinking about these fantasies. He was a train. That's right. That was just constantly revving, but couldn't go anywhere. No, he was in four walls. And I think, you know what? That's a good hell for him. That is, he was in a living hell. Yeah. A living hell where he had to think about that every day. So was he a bad seed or was he, was he shaped that way by his environment? You know, some people want to say he's a bad seed, but then you got, you got to look, he's got a son. Yeah. Gerald has a son. Gerald and Charlene has a son. Uh, I'm not sure where he is or what he does or where he is this point of his mm-hmm. life. But I would hope that he was taken. Of course, he was taken away mm-hmm. from her uh, after birth. Uh, but I would, you know, it would be interesting to know where he is in this point in his life or if he even knows about it. But I think with uh, Gerald, I think his life, um, his father was mean. It was just a terrible person. I just think that his upbringing shaped that way of life. Mm-hmm. You know, his mother being a prostitute, men coming in, yeah. all this carrying on in front of him. In front of him, right. You know, and he's a young child and he's just seeing all this over and over and over. The the, the brutality toward women would make me think about looking at his mother, you know, the hatefulness. You're a prostitute or you're this. And, and you know, that's why he smacked the, his wives. He beat them. You know, he even threatened one with a hammer or he might have beat her with a hammer. But mm-hmm. um it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, this thing. So it's hard to say, you know, you, you don't want to say, hey, it's all bad seed and, you know, it's going to be that way. And I would hope that uh, the young man is living a good and productive life and is nowhere near or or have any idea of what what really took place. What is what his biological father was really made of? And I guess my last question for you is Charlene. Do you think she was a willing participant or do you think that she was against her will? You know, uh, it's 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 hard to say. You know, when women get into that, it's like a woman being in domestic violence relationship. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, in that unit briefly, um, you know, the woman would be beaten to hell. And then we'd she'd come in. She'd, I'm going to, you know, I want him arrested. I want him sent away. Look what he did to me. And then 
when they understand the seriousness of what could happen to him, go to prison, mm -hmm. go to jail for a long time and all that, they were back in saying, you know, it's my fault. I did it. If it wasn't for me, he wouldn't have done this, you know. And so it, that kind of that victimization. But it, I think it's only because there was something that they revered, like Charlene revered Gerald in that way that, you know, she might say, you know, I was a victim or, you know, I blame myself or something like that. I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I don't personally um, look at her like a victim. I think when you look at the circumstances and you look at everything she participated in, anytime mm -hmm. she could have walked away. Yeah. And there were long breaks. Yeah. There were long, long breaks right. where she wasn't with him. Right. 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 And, yeah. And she was she gone. She left. She could have left. No. And then she, she went, went to the cops. Went right back into it. Yeah. So you think, well, what was a, you know, this magnetism? Mm -hmm. it's, it's this this whole power he had over her. Yeah. And so it's not like, well, I could, you, she could have gone to the cops. Now, remember, she didn't tell him where Mary Beth was. That's right. She wouldn't tell where, where the body was. She wouldn't. And so it's not like, okay, now we're all done. I'm going to show you. And No. In the very beginning, he said, hey, the hell with you guys. She wouldn't say a word. Yeah. And she was, I, I know uh, Detective Burchette told me that uh, she was terrible. She called him everything, all kinds of names. You know, you can't accuse me. And it just went on and berated him. But what he did tell me was after the letters were found to have been mistakenly mm -hmm. exchanged, uh, the next time he saw her, she came to him uh, when the whole thing was going to take place of going out and show where everything happened. And he said that she couldn't apologize enough wow. of her behavior and the way she spoke to him and everything she had said to him. He said she had apologized for all of that. So, but that was then. I mean, you know, you're saying, yeah. well, that was then and this is now, you know, two different sets of circumstances. Yeah. And um, she's somebody's neighbor now. Somewhere. <laughs> in Sacramento. And yeah. um, we do know she lives in the Sacramento area. Yes. We know that for sure. We know that for sure. We know that she's living under another name. Uh, yes. And we don't know what it is. I've heard different names and I'm not going to ask you to tell me because uh, I don't think you can. Thank um, you. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. But um, she's somebody's neighbor and yes. she's shopping next to somebody. She's standing in line next to somebody at the supermarket. And who knows? Maybe she f switches. Well, I do know uh, from the interview that she'd had that she does a lot of charity work. Now, this is something that maybe out of all of this, she decided to try to make some sense out of her life and do something good. And uh, she does a lot of charity work for veterans associations. Okay. So, you know, but um, in my own mind, uh, as far as what happened, uh, my view, it, it'll never change. No matter how much you, much you do here. It's not going to change what happened there mm -mm. ever mm -mm. in my mind, in my thinking. You know, this is all good. Mm -hmm. This is all good. And I guess the final judgment will come someday for her when the ultimate judgment will be made Yeah, on her, you know, what, what part she played in the whole thing. It's not for me to judge, but it'll come from a higher judge, I'm sure, someday. Mm -hmm. Well, John, I want to I want to thank you so much again, once again, for you know being our guest. This was a long one, yes. but it deserved to be a long one. This, uh, as I said in the beginning, is one of the hardest um, one of the hardest cases I've ever had to like bone up on. Right, <laughs> um, and it was not easy. And so it, the, the crimes, these crimes, and we kept so much away from the listening public. 
right. in our discussion. But, you know, when you're doing the research, you actually have to. Right. Read it. And I just once again want to thank and, and and let acknowledge the work that the detectives did. I mean, communities should be so uh, thankful that they have the type of people that were on these cases and given with no technology. Yeah, no technology. They went out and walked it on foot, went door to door. And Detective Burchette, Lieutenant Ray Bionde, Stan Reed, you know, uh, uh, Placer County, uh, a, a detective sergeant up there, uh, all of them, all of them that were involved uh, did such great work and able to bring this whole thing together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just I credit them with being able to do this. But, uh, you know, I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful we had detectives like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was for me a privilege to work around detectives like that because these were the ultimate detectives, you know, and I pride myself and that's the way I conducted my work. You know, uh, I like to think that I, I did the best that I could for the community and I did everything possible to help families and to solve these murders. So, um, I want, I want to thank them for all their work and hard work. It was. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thank you. Till we meet again.